0: Are you a brewhead? head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brewhead? head? I'm a brew head. Y'all are brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer, we can do, do this. Yeah. yeah. What's good, y'all? This is c 75 from head And welcome to episode 143 of Beer and the podcast adjunct series. Just me this evening, no Nathaniel, but uh, we have a great one, guys. So one thing that's been happening... Lately, is every time I speak to someone from the beer industry, inevitably, we end up talking about the state of craft beer, the state of the industry, the future of craft beer. And um, I'm finding it pretty fascinating myself. And... Um, My good friend Kevin Abbott from Barrel of Monks Brewing, he's been on the pod three times. You guys might uh, know the name if you're a long-time listener or watcher. And he reached out to me recently. He's like, hey, I got someone you might want to meet. And um, told me the story. I won't get too much into it right now because that's what this next few hours is going to be about. And uh, immediately I was uh, like, oh, this is definitely something that I want to talk about and a guy that I want to uh, have on the pod so tonight we're going to be talking about essentially how not to start a craft brewery and uh, you know the ins and outs of that not necessarily in a, a pessimistic way but you know we do need to be honest about the state of you know the economy of the world everything right now and I think it's important conversation to have and there's essentially as you guys will learn during this there's essentially nobody better to have that con- conversation with so please welcome y'all Kelly Meyer in the building. There we go. Welcome, you champion. Appreciate wow, I don't you. Know if I,
1: can, I don't know if I can hang with that, man. That's a lot. But I appreciate <laughs> you having
0: me. Oh, it's an, it's an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I'm very excited for this one, man. I'm really glad we connected. Uh, we had a great chat uh, last week and just you know talked about what we could talk about. And obviously, it's uh, it was an immediate, uh, easy you know, a bunch of things we want to discuss. Um, We're going to get into everything that you do, but I guess we do have to preface this. So the the quick version, which you're going to go into, you're in Texas, you were a brewery owner, you are now not a brewery owner, but you are a podcaster and author. And the podcast is called How Not to Start a Brewery. And is that correct? How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, but yes. A damn brewery. I knew that was one word I missed. Um, I had some emotion in there yeah i like that emphasis
1: you know i actually released the uh, there was a book originally and uh, the book was originally called because i was more angry then (laughs) how not to start a fucking brewery gotcha and amazon would let me print it but they wouldn't let me market it and so i changed the name in the second edition and started the brewery with that so that's damn got me more money which is a it was a very we can get into that later it was a very challenging decision for me to make but i did
0: well, we had the same problem because there's beer and other shit, and you're not allowed to say that in the title of a podcast. So, you probably would have had the same issue if you launched the podcast with fucking it because it wouldn't have worked. So, we had to put mm-hmm. S Triple H or we had to put something. And even when we tried to, we have the, we own the trademark now to BAOS Podcast in Canada, and they wouldn't let us trademark beer and other shit because you're not allowed to trademark <laughs> cuss words in Canada, but you can in the States, So, I could trademark it there. It's a it's a whole thing, and I'm I guess we have a, another commonality in that. So we're going to go so much deeper into that. But what we decided to do was like let's choose beers tonight. We're gonna we both curated our own uh, list of beers with, and I actually don't know what yours are, which is great. Cause I'm excited to just see it as as it comes, but. We chose beers that were sort of relevant to the conversation. Essentially, either you know breweries whose models we like, or something we want to talk about. It you know talk about that brewery in relation to um, the conversation this evening. So, you know, uh, guess first. Tell us uh, what you have tonight, man. Just To start. All right, Do you may go just one at a time. or You want the whole lineup? Oh no, one at a time. We're going to keep people waiting All right. as we go. Okay. So the first one
1: is a very very small production brewery called Yoke Fellow. Okay. And I brought this one on the show for two reasons. One, he makes light pale lagers, uh, de- you know, decoction mash, um, mm. Pilsners. So the beer is good. The beer is, you know, the kind of stuff that we like to drink when we're drinking. But he has a very unique business model. And I think going forward, the type of thing people should emulate to, if they're playing on doing a small scale. And that's okay. obviously a whole different piece of the pie. But if you're going under a thousand barrels, it should be something like this, in my opinion. Okay. And the business, what is their business model? So it's interesting. Basically Garrett was the brewer at another brewery called Five Stones nearby and decided to kind of start his side label, which, you know, not in and of itself unique or different. There's a lot of people doing that. So the brewer has his own label, but ultimately he's contract brewing it there. He opened a tasting room in like the Texas Hill Country, on kind of in the little the Texas wine region actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. His wife is in the wine side. She has her own wine label, doing the same thing in the wine world, and they opened a tasting room that is the only place to purchase at retail really his beer, her wine. But they partner up with a guy who used to work at Jester King, who you've probably Ooh. heard of. I, I would imagine. Yes, I so, have. Yes. <laughs> And actually, Garrett used to work at Jester King and so did Adrian at one point. So that okay. maybe some of the uniqueness of the business model comes from this. But Matt, and I believe his wife, opened in that tasting room. It's called Nice and Easy. It has its own cocktail list. It has food. And then it also is a tasting room for both the winery and the brewery. And
0: I think makes a lot of sense overall from a, a profitability standpoint. That's amazing. I, and I was going to say from a consumer standpoint, like this sounds like a place I want to go to. Particularly if you say yeah, saying, it's cool to hang out. Yeah, man, and they're great. So, That's so awesome, dude. Them. Very interestingly, I think we kind of chose somewhat similarly. Um, the first beer I chose this evening is a beer called Sklepnik from Godspeed in Toronto. Uh, are you familiar with Godspeed by any chance? I have absolutely heard of them. I don't know the detail. Ah. Uh...
1: Either you mentioned them on the show, or I listened to they were a guest. I can't remember now, but I think it was from you I heard of
0: them. Okay, so that's good then. Um, love them so much. The owner uh, Bim is from Gatineau in Quebec, and he used to work at Judasiel, who you might be familiar with as well. Who uh, you know do famously they Mortel, a uh, coffee stout, the best coffee stout in Canada. And he he's got a very eclectic career. Started. Um, a brewery in Japan, his wife's Japanese. He's actually there right now. He's sort of splitting his time between Japan and Toronto. And he opened Godspeed in 2018 in Toronto, which was an interesting uh, choice from a Quebec dude who sort of lived in Montreal and, and Gatineau and around the world. And essentially he started, he got so much hype about him, and then he started the brewery with, um, I'm just going to quickly take the photo, with like beers that he had hype, but the bre- beers he were making were far from hype. And this was pre the kind of crispy wave. He started with like a Dortmunder, a pale ale and a fucking um, so, something else, like, like a, a Yuzu Saison or something like that. Like something just was like, what are you doing? But essentially over time, he has really cemented himself as like the crispy Lord um, of Ontario. And um, this particular beer was, is their, um Pilsner Roquel kind of like homage, but it's aged in a 40... Hectoliter pitch-lined barrel made for them and shipped across by the folks at Pilsner Raquel, Um which is incredible. And they're some of the best uh, like lagers in I would uh, in the province for sure, in the country I would say as well. And they're kept it small, dedicated to the craft, um, one space to get it. You know, do a little bit of distro, but nothing crazy. And it's just high quality, exceptional stuff all the time. Very classy, all short cans, which is a, a big thing for me. And it's just. They're my favorite. I love them. So it looks like we got two uh, great ones to start with, brother. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. Mm. God damn it! I love this shit. Okay, that was a fun way to start. So let's get into your story, man, because this is uh, this is fascinating. So let's start from the beginning. Like, how did you get into beer, and then how did that lead to the brewery? Uh, I got into the beer industry similarly to a lot of. But unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately,
1: a lot of people where I had a successful first career, uh, successful exit. And was like, hey, I don't really want to have a job job anymore. I want to have something that's cool and like fun. And at the time, I actually said out loud, I'm either going to do a winery, a distillery or a brewery. And if you know much about Texas in 2011, uh, the Texas wine industry did not make juice worth getting involved in. Right. And the spirits, similarly, I'm mostly a Scotch whiskey fan. Really can't make that in Texas. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll do a brewery inspired by all of those things, and I pulled a lot of those into the brewery. So it was That's cool. 2011, we we incorporated and in 2012. We opened. Okay. And what was the brewery called? I named it New Braunfels Brewing Company, which is okay. the name of the city that we were in. And my wife was very disappointed. I came with a whole bunch of names, and they were all you know unique and interesting. And I decided instead to have the brewery name be something kind of almost like stoic and traditional in a way that – and so New Braunfels is a big tourist town for Texas. We're like the, the okay. playground for everybody. Y'all, okay. Everyone comes on the weekend. So come to town, drink the beer, take it home, buy it at the store, right? That was the idea. Uh, didn't really work, but that's a later part of the story. But. Um, so anyway, it's kind of boring name. And then the beer names, I was just going to go crazy with, and that's basically what I did. So I don't know if that was the right choice, but that was my choice.
0: Okay. And the town just to like, so I can get the idea you were saying it was between Austin and <laughs> Sandy no, and San Antonio. Is that right? Yeah. I think, I think what I might've told you is that if you fly into Austin and rent a car, mm.
1: You'll drive south and right about when you notice that it's not sucking anymore, that's us. Okay, that's what you said. Yes.
0: And what's the what's why is it a tourist town? Like, what's the vibe?
1: Uh, Two rivers, and so it's shortest river they say in the world, but definitely in Texas. Okay. Very clear, always seventy-two, spring-fed, and then a big river comes through town, and then many people heard of Schlitterbahn, one of the largest water parks in the world. Okay. And that's located here too. It's it's literally acres of the town is all this big-ass water park.
0: Uh, oh there you go straight away um high feces level in the cornell river (laughs) that's the first thing i see that's very pretty town i'd probably encourage people to to google okay i see what's up then so um when you started the brewery what did you aim i mean it sounds like i mean you said you're inspired by wine and, and spirits and stuff but what did you like when you actually made the beers did you like all right i'm gonna make barrel aged stouts in whiskey barrels or like what, what was your kind of like intention and what did you launch with?
1: No, so it's kind of the opposite. And I think you ran into a lot of this in 11 and 12 and even 10 where the, we were all inspired by the old school beers from Belgium and stuff that had been from Bavaria for a hundred fucking years and mm. the labels, the names, the the pedigree. And so I think a lot of us struggle with that where, you know, we need to make these six different core styles and whatever so I did decide to be a little bit weird and because I had the wine influence, I wanted to be eventually grow my own grains, malt my own stuff on a small scale and play with that. And so I researched what grew well uh, grain-wise in the city we're in and in our county, really just wheat. Okay. And so I opened with wheat beers was the idea and everything was eighty-five percent wheat because at least in the United States, the 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 way the wine thing works is you have to have 85% of the grapes from a certain region to claim that at least on a statewide scale gets tighter and tighter, the more you go down. But that was the idea. So 85% wheat, Hefeweizen, Dunkelweizen, Weizenbach, Berliner Weiss, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Okay. And did that include like lagers and pilsners and and all that stuff? No, I, I was I knew very early on that that was a terrible idea and that if I
1: decided to make lagers and pilsners, that I would go out of business and it would have happened much faster.
0: Is that because maybe back then it wasn't what it is now? as far as the popularity? Well, two things. One, you're trying to pull people out. Yeah. Back then we were trying to pull people out from like the Budweiser's, the, um,
1: and this is interesting, which we are going to get to in a minute, but there's no way to make a beer at a small scale without a lot of education and experience and equipment to make that style of beer well enough to get the Modelo drinker to go like, Oh, this is actually really good too. Gotcha. Most of the time, they're like, "This is this sucks, too much flavor." Like, so to make a light lager, as a guy who didn't have experience, would not. It would have been some of the worst light lager you'd ever had.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. What did you ever get to it, or did you just didn't even get there with Krispies?
1: No. So I ended up switching. Uh, you know, being in the shadow of Jester King helped a lot too. Being a guy who was a wine and, and spirits enthusiast, uh, you know, I played a lot with wine hey. hybrids too. And, and when I Ch- heard what they were doing. I was like, Ooh, I'm going to try some of that too. And so it slowly happened, but in 2017, after what, five years of being open and we switched to mixed culture exclusively. Really? And how did that go down? Uh, at the time was fantastic, but in the the States anyways, uh, mixed culture started dying right about that time. And really, really in the way the whole industry really kind of contracted and that we got too many breweries and it was, it was more crowded. So my idea was we would stand out, and there really weren't that many breweries nationally that were uh, known for that. And we had a different perspective, a different flavor profile, obviously a different artistic um, methodology than Jester King did, a lot of the other guys. Um, but it's just – it didn't really work, and that market just – I've interviewed other breweries at the same problem. Like right about that time to 2019 is when it
0: just evaporated, mm. and it's just gotten worse. That, that happened here too. There's like, in Quebec, it's a different story because I don't know f- how familiar you are, but in Quebec, the, um, the you know, it's very Belgian influence there. So there's a lot of mixed firm, a lot of barrel aged stuff. In Ontario, we have a few, and there's a few breweries. When I say a few, literally like three to five that do them <laughs> kind of regularly out of like 450 here, I think. Like it's very few and far between, or maybe occasionally a brewery would do a one-off release or something like that. Like one of the ones I'm going to have tonight is from a brewery I didn't even know that did. That stuff, to be honest, I just because they closed down. That's why I, I had it. But um, yeah, <laughs> so it sounds like everyone is doing it. And I feel like the ones that were known for it, like Jester King, like probably Rare, like Rare Barrel and fucking, um, what's all the Cascade and like all those type of cats. Uh, there's one called Orval out in um, deep Quebec as well. That's like the Hill Farmstead, Hill Farmstead as well, but they're like the Hill of, of Quebec that are like hard to get, super exclusive stuff. Aside from that, yeah mixed firm wasn't popping. I, I I never put a year on it though. As far as when it died, obviously you would know that pretty uh, intimately. But that's interesting. You said twenty seventeen, eh? Is when it started to go downhill. Yeah,
1: literally yep. the time that we switched. Um okay. and so it was <laughs> it was uh, trying to push that through, and it was it was everywhere. It was retailers, especially in Texas, uh, and really all over the country. They could be distributed to seven states at one time, but in Texas they were just ripping bombers out, like and just bleeding um, the the shells. You you could go into a grocery store one week and there'd be a door of them and you go in the next week and there's like one row of bombers. And then they were just like, yeah, we're not Mm -hmm. ordering anymore. They
0: just, just, Hmm. and they're still, they're they're gone. So is it the packaging or is it just the interest in the style has gone? Uh, It's a mix of both. I
1: know there were some breweries that were going to experiment with cans and as far as sour beer and cans. And on a large scale, I never really saw it. So I don't know if anyone had success with it. But I also mm-hmm. the price points wouldn't work. So yeah, you know, we, cheap. And you know, again, to, since they are here, I, I use Jester King's example a lot just because they're numbers. But you take a look at like what their price per ounce was, and, and Cascades is a great example. The price per ounce they sold those bombers for uh, the seven fifties. If they were to go into cans, you're talking about like a thirty
0: dollars six pack. It's not going to move. There's no volume, so it wouldn't have helped. The price points didn't work right so even regardless of the packaging format they were kind of fucked either way with that yeah, I, style. Mean, I think I, I think that one of the things that
1: i have done is made it my life's mission over the past three years to figure out what the hell went wrong right. i can't tell you unequivocally but i can tell you that that pricing point with mixed culture beer that's an issue uh the the education piece is an issue the art is an issue and i wish that wasn't the case it, it literally makes me angry to have said that but so many brewers or brewery hoppers and, and beer drinkers just got really goddamn tired of having to be explained what it was and like how to pronounce the beer name correctly. They're just
0: they're kind of over it. Do you will admit that, maybe I am too. But in, in in with regard to mixed firm or just in general? Uh, I'm talking about mixed firm specifically and that you know that kind of
1: those kinds of beers tend to be more artistic, definitely European yeah. oriented. And so it's a learning curve for the Secchi's drinker to walk in and be like, what, what is this? Why does this taste like this? Like right. at some point they just got tired of being educated about it. Like that's okay. What we experience in our
0: tasting room. Um, okay. No problem. That's interesting. I mean, I guess there's, when you think about it, there is a lot of explanation going into those beers and I feel like the average kind of beer drinker doesn't really participate in mixed firm beers. And I wonder if it's like exposure, like if they, if a lot of people tried it because sometimes, you know, like, you you know, you were saying you're very influenced by a lot of wine stuff and doing some hybrids. Like, it would go to, you know, you would assume that a lot of wine drinkers would enjoy it. But I, I, it's, I don't know if you have any insight into why. Do you think beer drinkers, typical or just drinkers? I'm sorry, in general, weren't exposed enough to styles like that that they that a lot of people would very probably enjoy.
1: Well, so we had, with that tasting room, that was a big part of what we did. We it was a tourist town. So mm-hmm. we would get people coming in all the time, tubing the river all day. They've had, you know, light loggers and there's coming in and, and they want to keep the party going. It's, it's not so much a flavor experience. It's just Google brewery down the street. Let's mm-hmm. check it out. Gotcha. And <clears throat> we'd have that conversation a lot. And I'll use the example of, of women, although it wasn't just that, but like, there were a lot of women who would come in and just be <clears throat> like, you yeah, know, I don't really like beer. And when I talked to them <clears throat> about like, well, we have this one that was aged in v Barrels and then re- referment it with the grapes. And they're like, oh, this is good. I would drink this. But what they didn't do is buy any to take home and they sure shit didn't come back and buy it again. Fun experience, interesting, maybe even Instagrammed it, told their friends, but it wasn't something you could build a business on. And that ultimately is the whole point. Hmm. Why do you think that is? It's just basically what they're comfortable with. And so there comes a point where, you know, like I, I try bourbon all the time and I'll go out and try different bourbons, different whiskeys. But if I go to the store, I'm usually going to buy an angels envy or mictors at the end of the day. I'd love to tell you it's not that way, but everybody kind of mm. has their favorites and their place they play in. And it's not people like us like to explore new things. People like the people that we're friends with love to talk about this new thing they had that we haven't tried and we should have it. But we are a niche within a niche within a niche. <laughs> the average beer, beer, wine or spirits <clears> drinker. <throat> they just want to have a drink in front of them that will get them buzzed enough to enjoy the conversation with the person they're hanging out with. And gotcha. that sucks, but I have seen that play out over and over the more I've been around. So
0: yeah, that's man. my opinion. I, do you know what? I actually agree. I typically wouldn't have agreed maybe in the past few years, but recently I've noticed even my like people, guys like us, like full beer nerds that are either involved in beer media or in the beer industry or whatever, have started to... like buy cases of shit. Like I mentioned that Peche Motel, the the coffee star. One of my good friends in Quebec is one of the predominant beer writers out there. And he just basically now he goes to his brewery down the street and he buys cases of Peche. And that's basically it as far as he's told me. So like I've noticed, and that was just one example of many different people who I find that are now like, and particularly I think in this economy and post COVID when everyone maybe spent too much got a little fat, like, oh, fuck, I need to chill. (laughs) They don't really have the funds always to roll the dice on that new, you know, fun-looking beer when they could be like, ah, it could be good, it could be amazing, but it could be kind of weak. And then I could have just spent less money on this beer that I know is going to be great and then just roll with it for that same sort of reason you were saying. They'd just be like, well, at the end of the day, I'm drinking to enjoy the flavor, but, you know, I kind of want to get a bit lit. So it's, it's something I'm seeing more often as well. And I noticed even my girlfriend who has a wine and spirits and coffee Instagram account we paired up with BOS and used to travel pre-COVID uh, with you know, tourism offices and stuff. Even she's now found more wine, like a wine from, funnily enough, from California that we get here that she just loves and just buys half a dozen to a dozen bottles every time we go to the store. she just grab that, start, stock them up because she's like, I, just don't wanna, I don't have to think about it. It's like 20 bucks. It's great quality you know much as you'd rather support local there's probably nothing as much that sort of and she's been introducing more people to that and it's not even a local thing and that's something that's important to probably most drinkers so i find that an interesting anecdote as well that like it's happening all around i think it's a it's a strange phenomenon but i guess it's just sign of the times maybe yeah and i I mean i think that there was an excitement there and that well, you
1: know what? There definitely was. Like, we were all very excited about mm. the new brewery, the new beer, the new release, the the collaboration. And when you really get down to it, uh, you know, you guys obviously have less breweries than us, but you have a lot still as well. Yeah. With ten thousand breweries in the United States, no one's making anything that different. Like, I mean, it's not. I don't want to say it's all boring, but at the same time, like, I still go on people's Instagram now, and I was actually looking up a bunch of them yesterday for a little project I was doing, and everyone's still. It's so a picture of the Tackle Glass. It's the beer in the glass. It's New Beer Thursday. Come on down. We're open five days. It's the same goddamn post Shit, a yeah. thousand times. <clears throat> Why do I care about yours? Right? It's got boring. Yeah. I think in a sense. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, it's definitely that. I mean, there's there's the cats who don't think it's boring. I guess the ticker untapped culture type of thing, which is I don't know, I don't know about you. I'm still I'm still into that. For the most part, like there's a like this one here, like this Godspeed beer. Like last time I was there, I got a case not just if this one beer, but a whole bunch of stuff, like a couple of everything because I think all their beers are phenomenal. And I just like having that there, so I don't even have to think about it. I start every beer session with a crispy, and whether it's new or not, I don't really care that much about lagers being new. Then when it comes to say haze, and that's probably my main thing, like. I would prefer to drink new stuff from that. And if it's a stout or something like, well, I guess most of the barrel age stuff and the fun big ones are typically one-offs, but yeah, like it's not, I guess it all sort of depends on the, you know, but then I follow people on Instagram and I'm sure you do too. Like, you know, in the community drinkers that are just, I know people in Quebec that go to the, you know, from what it looks like, they go to Vermont, like every weekend and they get every new beer from <laughs> Foam, Berlin to Beer Cohill Hill Farmstead, you name it, you know, they're getting, and then they're doing trades. They're all drinking shit from the West Coast. So obviously they get this, they call, there's this company called Kinek, K-I-N-E-K. And they have these like, uh, it's like a virtual post office box that businesses can do. So say, and they, and they hold a package for you. So because we're here, yeah. you can't ship over the border. Well, you can, there's ways around it, but you know, what if you want to do it without the risk? You can ship it across the country to this business that's on you know, in a border town, and then you pay. I think there's like you know every five pounds is like you pay ten bucks for them to hold it or something like that. So like they do that, and they're always drinking beer from everywhere. So the, there's a lot of people. Whilst there's some phenomenal stuff available locally, they're kind of obsessed with getting the new shit, and they pay out the ass to do that. Like it's crazy how much they're paying. But you know, I guess some people are. Uh, are into it and that's what they want. So then they go for it and do it. There's so many different types of drinkers, I guess it's kind of what I'm saying.
1: Oh yeah. There's billions of people on the planet. So the, the question is how do you, how do you set yourself apart and how do you create a business? I always, that's my approach to the job that I have is like, how do I, how do I unpack this in a way that I can tell somebody, look, do these 12 things, put this in your business plan and I can guarantee success. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't feel like I can, but I, I would say that like in the, maybe you guys are, well, and I would say it's, like it's different. So in the United States, I know for a fact that Tabor is running bad. Like, they're just not getting a bunch of new stuff. They're mm. definitely down <clears> as far <throat> as what's going on. Because people just don't want to spend $30 on a bottle like they used to. Right. Um, there's still people that do, though. Like, I saw somebody post the other day, and I think that's more to the point that uh, it's like when I walked into my grocery store four weeks ago and I saw a uh, new rack out there with bombers on it, I realized... I don't think I've seen that in a year. Same thing, mm. like this guy posts his Tibor shipment, and I'm like, I can't remember the last time somebody, porch bomb, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's uh, no, it's less common.
1: Definitely. Yeah, so, and I miss it too, I mean, it's definitely, it changed the market in a way I think makes it less fun, makes it less exciting. Um, no. And I'm not happy to be the guy reporting about it, but it definitely, again, I'm, I'm the guy trying to figure out how to unpack it more so than the, you know,
0: missing that it's gone, I guess. So. Huh. I like that. That's a good, that's good context for, I guess, people listening who sort of are learning about you tonight. Like what, you know, what's what you're doing. You're taking your real life experience and unpacking it, which we're going to get to shortly. Um, so then before we get to sort of the, uh, something you said to me, by the way, I just want to say this, that you said on, on the call we had the other day, you were like, there's more you can learn from people's and other businesses failures and you can learn from success and i think that uh, i told my girlfriend about this because i thought your whole concept of what you're doing is phenomenal it's so cool man um and that's really where you're coming from so just to position that like you know like i was saying in the beginning like it's not pessimistic it's literally taking the lessons from the failures and be like how can we avoid that in future really is what you're doing is that a fair assessment yeah. And, and that's
1: evolved. like most things in my life. Um, mm-hmm. When I first started the podcast, I was very angry. If you go back and listen to a lot of those, um, I don't think I went a single episode without calling somebody out that I thought needed to get a little bit of hate. Um, <laughs> and, and, but now the, and for the most part, those are out. And I realized that if I was going to continue to do the podcast, continue to have those conversations for one, I wasn't interested in just going online and, and talking shit to people. I wanted it to be something better. And I, and I started learning from the people that were interviewing with me and like kind of seeing some people who were you know more mature about it and, and weren't as angry. And I just, I think it was sometime last year that I kind of reevaluated what I was doing and what the future of the podcast would be. And I decided that it could be a, a vehicle for good in a very important way. And I still think you've got to look at the bad. I still mm-hmm. think we have to get some of that out. So when the Brewers Association says something astley stupid, I'm going to let people know that they did that, but ultimately that's not my goal. My goal is to research what went wrong with these guys, breweries, ask them along the way, Hey, when you signed that lease, could you have predicted that five years later, that was going to be the reason you closed and they are like, yeah, dude, here's what I should have done. And here's what you should do. And I, and I think those are valuable lessons that like you mentioned, I listened to lots of different podcasts and read a bunch of books throughout the years. And I learned a lot of ways to succeed, but you can't, it's, it there's not, there's a lot of ways to not find that path versus it seems like the failure is so prevalent and, and mm. these things are so repeated that like, there should be a list. And then that's, that's what I consider my job. The, re,
0: the list of the things everyone's doing that no one should. Mm. I, I love that so much. And the, the thing that I compared it to, which you were, had already beat me to it was that I think it was a tribe of mentors from, um. Tim Ferriss, who basically did the same thing, but for success. And that's when you said that the failure is going to teach you more. And I think that's phenomenal. And I think it's much needed, and particularly in today's um, climate, really. So then, to get back to your story, because I want to wrap that side of it up so we can move on to the, the new part. So was there any part of the, of the brewery? You owned it for 10 years, right? Yep. Is that correct? 10 years. Yep. 10 years. 10 years. <laughs> It's um, kind of like a good behavior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the um, Was there any part where it went was killing it that it was really going well? Yeah, we definitely had some moments where it was great. And, you know, especially as
1: we expanded outside the state, there were some wins. Like it was cool to ship 10 grand worth of beer to California, um, you know, Florida to, to reship beer. There were some months that it looked good. There were some months that there were some good opportunities. And it's funny you ask that because – I was just texting one of my guests today, or he started the text, I was texting him back maybe two hours ago. Um, and he was talking about how there were times that it looked amazing. There was profit on paper. And 90 days later, he gave it all back. And so right. it was such a roller coaster. And I had the same experience where you'd have these killer summers. And then just, it's almost like you had to pay for it. Like if and where I live in Texas, like when it's when we have a mild winter, we're like, "Oh, geez, this summer's gonna suck. It's gonna yeah. be 120 degrees." You know, it's almost like that in a sense where you knew that it wasn't gonna work. But there was there were some wins along the way for sure.
0: Um, but for the most part, they were they were short lived. I guess is a good way to say it. Interesting. Okay, and it was essentially like that for the whole ten years.
1: Unfortunately, it was. There was a lot of pivots, and so you see that a lot with different breweries today. Even that there's a, this whole new direction or. Uh, they're you know re- rebranding, restructuring, and and every time you do that, you have essentially evaporate your existing revenue uh, and profit, and you're investing in the future. And I had an argument with a guy. It was it was a why was a, I don't know it was an argument? It was a di- discussion. Uh, who's Spirited an in debate. In, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's an investor in a brewery in Dallas, who's probably the fourth or fifth largest producing brewer in, in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, like, I don't understand when you say that we're not profitable. We just reinvest all of our profits. I'm like, right. Meaning you never took any out. Like, it's, that's, you, sure, it's profitable on paper. You've got an EBITDA given to you by your accountant, and you can put that out to the investors and say, hey, we've got X profit. Our valuation is X plus 10, <clears throat> and uh, you guys just made money on your investment. But if the brewery goes out of business in four years— there's no profit like
0: it ultimately you just invested in, in disaster eventually right okay that makes which sense. is what we did <laughs> right so then how far into it were did, did the science start I mean obviously you're saying there's a roller coaster the whole time but at what point did you realize like oh this is this is not happening this is not going to work like was it towards the end or did you sort of have those you know like you know epiphanies multiple times and then just kept trying and then like, how, what did that look like?
1: Okay, so here's the problem, and okay. people are not going to like the statement. So take it or leave it. Um, and I, I, think actually Kevin and I talked about this because he worked at a Funky Buddha. Uh, mm-hmm. Do that in Florida, mm-hmm. and Funky Buddha opened. I'm going to butcher the dates, but let's say 2019, 2009. Excuse me, 2009. Three years later, they expanded to a 30 barrel system. Three years after that, they sold for 80 million dollars, and that is the story that we all knew. So when 2011 when I opened you read the books Dogfish guy the Brooklyn guys and the basic story was you effectively burn cash and capital to get market share to expand distribution you don't make money for years and then one day you get someone to buy you out whether that's aB or a VC company or whatever and that's when you get paid back that investment right so in a sense we didn't expect to make money the first year the second year the third year the <coughs> eighth year Right. But also we're only comfortable continuing to invest so much. And so there came a point where my wife looked at me and she's like, no more. And then we gave one more round and then it was no more. And then it was like, you made to decide. And so it just, it just became more and more stressful as more and more money had to come in because mm-hmm. every one of those pivots had to be financed somehow and it wasn't going to be a tasting room revenue. So Right. And did you have investors or was it just you, your wife and yourself? <laughs> We never did. So we never took on investors and we never had a bank loan, okay. which is good and bad. We we would have lost less of our personal money had we done that, but we would have gone out of business sooner and mm. who knows what would have happened to my life. I, I might have been doing something really boring instead of something cool and exciting like I am now.
0: Right. Okay. I mean, that's a positive way to look at it. So then was there like, like it sounds like... Did you kind of maybe answered this already potentially with that last round of investment. Like, was there like a point where you were like, that's it? And was it that point? Or was there like a different thing where you were like, all right, we're fucking just shutting down? No, so it's basically that. It was kind of like we almost had this thing every spring where
1: the conversation started again because December and January, every, every distributor – closes out their warehouse. So they order very, very little for the month Mm -hmm. of December. And they try to keep this little inventory on hand on 1231. And so then sales are slow in January. Yeah, because everyone got too much alcohol, the Christmas season, now you're dry January, whatever the reason is. So they don't pick up. And then when they do pick up towards the end of January, you don't get paid for that until about the end of February.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: that's usually a small order, then a bigger order. So somewhere between November and March is kind of a ghost town and the year that it really the the fit hit the shan all the way was 2019 okay and it's kind of the same thing but it happened earlier and our just i know one of our big distributors in dallas was trying to sell and they were managing inventory very tightly for that reason trying to keep the numbers on paper look good when they were going to the uh, presentations Hmm. uh, which we didn't know then we found out later but part of that was they didn't order and my wife and i sat down like actually my birthday's January 3rd. I swear to God, we sat down on my birthday. She's like, I don't want to do this today, but here's the deal. And she just shows me all the red, like, you know, the counts essentially overdrawn. I didn't cash these checks. And so we're cool, blah, blah, blah. What are we going to do? And we made a plan. We met once a week. We were like, this, this is all we can do. And we made a decision that we were going to shut it down in 2019. Um, but I had to wait until, I was going to wait until the lease expired, which was the next year. Um, and then at that point, we basically just run it down, right? Like try to pay off debt, um, you know, reduce staff uh, payments in, in, the, in the interim, like time and hours. And she went left and got another job. And then COVID happened and we didn't shut down in 2020 like we were going to. Okay. When did you shut down? 2021? So I ended up selling the brewery at a massive loss, September
0: 3rd, 2021. Not that I had any trauma around it to remember that at all, but that's when it happened. (laughs) And did you, so you sold the, the everything like at the business, the um, equipment, everything all at once rather than selling off piecemeal? Yeah. So I ended up finding somebody who uh, wanted to open a brewery
1: uh, up near where we are, like in the, I wouldn't say suburbs, there's a Canyon Lake is a big lake up in the area where we are. And they were going to open a brewery there, and they saw this for sale for nothing. And they were like, well, let's just do that first, learn the industry, and then kind of take what we've learned and do the, do it the right way where we are. And so they got a great deal. I think, you know, as a mixed culture brewer, you've got you know, um, years and years of inventory so you can have verticals and stuff. I believe that they paid about twice what my actual inventory value was, and they got all the equipment, the business, the IP, all of it. So uh, gotcha. I lost my ass. They, they, they did fine, but – did the brand name live on? Yep, they kept yeah. the brand name, which I was surprised. I actually told them that they should not, but okay. they didn't listen to me. So,
0: okay. And how do you know how it's going now? I
1: I, I know that they don't have an incentive necessarily to make a profit, and nor um, are they really doing that. But they they switched everything. They don't make mixed culture beer anymore. They oh. they still have some borrowed inventory, but they make you know quote unquote uh, regular beer. So,
0: okay.
1: Um, have you had it?
0: Yeah, no, i go hang out there
1: yeah. once in a while. Okay. Um, I actually, the guy who's their brewer, I helped get the job. He was a friend of mine, or he's is a friend of mine. And then the guy who was the manager of the tasting room is still there, too. So, yeah, the beer's good. He makes good beer, which is why I recommended him. Um, right. it, is, it isn't that the beer's not great. It's just that uh, it's it's an IPA. It's a, a helless. It's, you know, it's it's right. fine, and they do okay there. They definitely have more business in the tasting room than we did, which is a function of not having sour beer.
0: <laughs> right. That's the difference. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. That must be a weird experience, like going to a place you used to own and paying for product or whatever.
1: Actually, I love it. Um, yeah. It is free because, because again, there's a lot of and, and I use that word lightly. There really was some trauma, and my wife and I actually had to go to therapy and like kind of work through, you know, being a partner with your wife in a losing business is stressful it's from rough. a business environment. But it was really hard on the marriage too. So there's yeah. there was a lot of scars. Is are a lot of scars. Interesting, from that, but. So it's super fun. I love going in and paying. I'm just like, <laughs> I've got
0: yeah. nothing to do with this. Yeah, exactly. I'm a customer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the attitude, though. That's uh, that's positive. So I feel like now we've sort of captured that first part of the story, so it's probably a good time to get into the next beer if you're finished. Oh, great. I had a shorty can, so I kind of crushed it uh, a little fast. Um, tell us about your next one, brother. All right. So the next one is a brewery that I think is a little
1: bit anomalous in the sense that I've reached out to them. Uh, I have talked to them about, so I, I try to do maybe no more than one brewery a season. And if I can help it less that I think are doing it right okay. and interview them and find out why. So okay. one of the ones on that list was steam whistle hey, up in your neck of the woods. Let's go. Uh, that was, and I, I didn't get a chance to try the beer unfortunately, but so this oh, one is the Russian river. Ooh, Brewing company.
0: Just flexing their Peach
1: peach sours. Let's so go. I went to Pliny this year for the first time ever. Oh, for the young And I paid. I was a customer. I didn't ask to talk to the brewer. I just went in and tried to reduce my hangover by drinking triple IPAs and it worked. Hell yeah. And, uh, so it, was a, it was a fun experience. And that brew pub still kills it. I don't know about the Windsor facility. It's a totally different thing, but. I feel confident that they are truly and uniquely profitable in that pub in downtown Santa Rosa.
0: Okay, I went to the Windsor one, and I loved it. I just wanted to try Pliny from the sauce, and it was just gorgeous. Um, I feel you. I like what they're doing. They've got they've got something special. I think there's a few breweries that exist mostly in the U.S. that just have something really special, and that it just you know they get lineups for the plenty the younger every year. Um, whenever i just feel like it's like it's never no like it's un i'll say uncool as like they're you know, not super popular as west coast are right now personally i love it and plenty is one of my favorite beers of all time the like the fact that they get people there regularly and it's still highly sought after and if i ever get my hands on i'm like i lose my shit being out here you know like it's special i think they're they've really got something cool going on and it's uh it, particularly after so long and it's it's like the, yeah. the benchmark
1: well, and I, I talk shit about this all the time. I'm well, first of all, I don't want to, I feel bad. I want not tell you this, but I'm really not an IPA guy. for okay, who you are, right. so I don't want you to hate me but, no, no. Um, <laughs> More for me, but I absolutely love Pliny. I absolutely love blind pig best. and I really enjoyed um, both younger and um, elder. I've had many times, nobody in Texas can do it and I don't understand why. It like is it. not Santa Rosa. There's, there is not a good West Coast IPA, in my opinion, in the state of that's Texas, actually, okay. that can hold its hold a candle to those two. And it makes no fucking sense to me because they don't even hide the recipe. They're not even using unique hops. It's, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like so anyway. That I think it's hilarious, and it, I I love the beer, and that's another piece of it that
0: I I just feel like it it shouldn't be that unique and that hard to make, but somehow it is. That's a. Actually, a very interesting point. My, uh, I have a co-host I was telling you about. So him and I did a West Coast. I think it was this year. I never remember time, but I think we did one this year, like an episode just on West Coast IPAs in, from Ontario and Quebec. And there's a couple from here, from in Ontario, that like are just year-rounders that aren't anything special, but they're fucking spectacular and there's a brewery in uh in quebec called sanquier baron like fifth baron and their west coast they got like 10 different west coast from like five percent like pales to like you know eight percent doubles and they're all named after trees like witchwood juniper like all that type of shit and they are just exceptional old world hops sometimes sometimes new world hops but they just all they're all so different and delicate and like perfectly clear it's money and when you drink a good west coast it's just it's 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 such a break from the haze of everything it's uh so it is mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that you don't have that in texas maybe we should do a trade i can get you some steam i have some uh i got a i got a box of bottles of which is inconvenient but i have some bottles of steam whistle in over here and like some west coast from sankiem are just so good man they're so good it's just it's a pleasure that hopefully someone out there can uh can can do it it should like you said it shouldn't be that hard I wonder why they didn't do it. Yeah. Maybe they're just well, not I'm, doing it. I would well. imagine
1: right now, if you know, if uh, you're going to post this online, and people are going to put in the comments about it what a dipshit I am because somebody down the street makes it. <laughs> I haven't had it. I haven't found it, and I'm happy to
0: tell us I about it, guys. Had it.
1: I had a West Coast IPA made in Texas over the weekend, and had fucking crystal malt in it. And I just I didn't finish it. I was like, you got to be kidding me. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you know what? When I went, to, I remember I felt I don't have a ton of experience with Texas beer, and I remember feeling like everything just felt like behind the times. Last time I was there was 2018. We went to South Bay, and my friend lived in Dallas, so I went back with him. And it, all the beers that I had that were around, like that were local, like were just sort of like kind of pedestrian, sticky, multi West Coast that should have been like mm-hmm. drier and like punchier. Uh maybe they were maybe they weren't the freshest or something, but just yeah, everything I had wasn't like blowing my mind at all. But I also think that beer scenes are massive and you need to spend some time and really discover like you know, have them fresh and go to the right spots and stuff. But yeah, I see what you're talking about at least. From my very, very minimal experience. There's gotta be something. Wow.
1: No, and again, I'm sure there are. And I, I've, I have had many of the beers in Texas, but I have, but no, not even scratched
0: a surface. I'm sure there's you
1: know yeah. 400 and something
0: in the state now. So, well, if anyone in and/or around Texas knows of any fire Texan West Coast IPAs, let us know. Like shoot us a DM me or Kelly or comment wherever the fuck on Instagram or YouTube. Let us know, man. I'm curious. So then to kind of complement that, actually I feel like we're doing pretty well with the aligning our beers tonight. Um I just got back from New England. I did ten days in New England at the end of August and uh I went to Treehouse for my first time. So tonight I'm drinking a Treehouse beer. This is called Super Cachet. It is an eight point four percent double IPA. And um this was a bucketless brewery for me. It um a lot of people have some choice words to say about Treehouse. I just like, I don't know, I guess I'm a capitalist maybe and i just like appreciate entrepreneurialism and have you been out to i think we i can't remember if i mentioned it to you on the first call have you been to charlton the treehouse in charlton massachusetts at all no no it is smells great this is like a month old now too it's um it's a it's a wonder it is a like a campus it's fucking huge when i Hmm. went that whole trip fortunately everything was kind of dead like i've seen pictures of um A treehouse has like a a shuttle service from one car park to another and they have like an Instagram or a Twitter account with like drone footage to show how long the line is that day but I just walked right on up walked right in waited like three minutes for a beer like it was super chill so it was money but I have never in my life I've been to arguably more breweries than the average person you know outside of the beer world of course I've never ever seen that many fermenters in one place in my life. It was like a forest of fermenters. None of them were massive either, which probably explains the volume of SKUs they have. They had a shit ton of like lager and like horizontal tanks. It was just a wonder of a business. I can't, and they've got five um, breweries. I went to Charlton and then I went to Tewksbury, which is the golf course one. Both very different experiences. beautiful spots i i really really fucking enjoyed it i i loved it like the the branding they had everything i bought some of their coffee um which i'm drinking it at, at home i'm a big coffee guy and their coffees uh is fantastic um i was just like it was just more like the scale of what they're doing is so wild to me and it works like it was just so cool the staff was so nice um It was just like the branding was everywhere. I don't know. I was just extremely impressed at just the sheer scale of it. And it was funny to me because we went to Boston and all Trillium are all in. They were the two that I put my bucket list. Trillium are all like urban kind of locations. Whereas, you know, like Fenway and Fort Point and stuff. Whereas, excuse me, Treehouse are all in the sticks. Like, I don't know if rural is the right word, but not in the city. So like, but they definitely a lot, this, the scale was just insane. Like and the way you, you, I had to watch an eight minute YouTube video to learn <laughs> how to be a patron and I'm not shitting you. Like you walk you follow up, all the rules? I, you don't have a choice. <laughs> you, you walk up, you can't go to the bar and pay. You have to buy uh, drink tickets online so you go and they don't accept canadian credit cards so then my girlfriend had the apple pay cuz i can't do it on my phone and then so it worked apple pay worked but you have to go you have to uh, scan a qr code Buy drink tickets. It's $8 US flat for a drink. And then depending on the beer, if it's a double IPA, I guess it's less of a pour. It's like maybe 12 ounces. If it's a single, it's like a 16 or a 20. Um, And uh, and cocktails, they got cocktails and stuff, uh, all sorts of different shit. So you have to buy that beforehand and you just show them the, the QR code on your phone that you get and they scan that and you just ask for what you want. So that, I think that makes the line move faster. And the same deal with the cans. You have to, anything to go, you have to buy it on, scan the QR code, go in there, order it, pay, show the people there, they scan it, and they go and pick your order and present it to you. So it's, uh, it was a fun but daunting experience. It, it's, it looks worse than it is. But either way, I just think it's a, it's a marvel of whatever you think about it, because I have heard some negative stuff. I did not have a negative experience, but... It was just like, what the fuck? The sheer scale of it was just insane. I've absolutely never seen anything like it, so I figured that would be a good one to to drink tonight.
1: Yeah, if you can
0: pull that off, that's pretty amazing. It's pretty damn cool. Shall we cheers, brother? Cheers, my man. Cheers to you. Mm. Delicious. This is Mm. great as well. I'm a a bit of a um, freshness princess, I guess you'd call me. And this is just over a month old and she's drinking good. That's the only problem is that the one thing I detest, actually, I'd love to get your feedback on this. As a drinker and as a type of cat that maybe aside from like the lagers and stuff where I'm more than happy to get a four pack or whatever, or a sixer, uh, most of the places I go sell four packs, um, I hate four packs. Let me buy one. Let me buy two. I went to Fidens in Albany, New York, which is, in my opinion, I think they are the greatest uh, hazy IPA brewery anywhere and they let you buy singles so whilst i probably should have got more in hindsight they only had three beers available so i just got two of each gladly drank them all fucking beautiful everything else i had to get four packs and i had to trade people because i'm like these are gonna die i can't i think i came back with like five or six cases of overall over 10 days it was obscene and the four packs as a consumer whilst i understand the economics, I guess, of it from a brewery side. Like, I don't need four of anything almost ever. What do you think about that, both as a drinker and as an as you know, when you in your former life as a brewery owner? Like, does that make sense? What did you do at the brewery as well?
1: Well, as a mixed culture brewery, a lot of what we did was individual. Ah, same um, of but, Yeah, yeah. But that became a problem. And so at the end of the day, before we were done, I think it was it was twenty twenty. I mm-hmm. might've even been the month of the lockdowns. We started experimenting with doing four packs of 12 ounce bottles, but at retail, which I think is a very different animal. Cause they're just, people don't shop the single shelf there, but okay. at the brewery, for sure, singles make more sense. Um, now that being said, we would have people come in and order a case of the, the beers and we had them in the 12 ounce. So I think having both choices is good and for you. I mean, if you buy an individual can, you're, Probably getting screwed on your per ounce price. But if you're happy with the transaction, then it seems dumb that a
0: brewery wouldn't let you do that. Yeah, I agree. One of my favorite models, um, I was just at Burlington Beer Co. in that trip in uh, in Vermont. Love the breweries. I was hanging out with the owner and I was telling him that I always tell people, and I big them up a lot on this pod, they did a few things that I really, really enjoyed. Actually, also uh, could get your feedback on this. One thing that they always do, they sell four packs, but for two, and most of the four packs are around like, they're really reasonable Um, 14, 16 bucks something like that pretty good US and you pay 2 dollars more and you can get a mix pack and Mm. as opposed to not doing it that's a surcharge of 50 cents a can to get a, a mix I think that is a genius thing and second thing I think they do that is amazing, which I don't know if they pioneered it, but it was the first time I'd seen it, was instead of having like a flagship, you know, like that's always around that maybe people get bored of, they had a series of like, I guess you call them core beers to a degree that um repeat semi-regularly. So like you've got one, there's one beer called As Complicated Being a Wizard. They got like funny names. And like that beer would you drink it now then the next time you come in a month time it's gone but then you come back in two more months and then it's back again so maybe it comes back four times a year you know what i'm saying so they repeating Mm -hmm. stuff so that while those core beers or beers that i guess call whatever you want to call them but have a a recipe that gets tweaked and gets improved over time um as opposed to doing a one-off which either gonna hit or miss um at least these you can get to know it it's like you know you know they're like oh this new batch is fucking slapping right now um And they're repeating it along with sprinkling in some one-offs and stuff like that. And I just think that's like such a great way. So those two things: the the minor surcharge for a four-pack, and um, the repeating of Colby is to avoid fatigue and to avoid like oh, it's always here. I'm not going to get it as oh shit, it's back. I haven't had this in six months. Like you know. So uh, any thoughts on that? But once again, as a consumer and as a brewery owner. Yeah, I was going to say. So I would. I would technically have sort of the opposite
1: opinion of you or opposite perspective, I should say, not sorry, opposite opinion. But so from the, from the idea of doing the mixed four pack, I think that, that, that kind of experimentation Mm -hmm. is imperative. And if people like you are coming in that want to do that and are willing to pay for it, it could be genius. But if they test it and the market says you can eat a dick, they should probably stop it. (laughs) But you know, if it's working, right. Uh, Yeah, We should all be trying new stuff. Maybe people want one ounce pours for 10 bucks sell it to them if they want it. Right. If you can make it work. Right. Um, the other, the other one I, so that that's something that I think the industry struggles with is whether or not to have cores and in a sense it's because you've got different customers. So where you love, and again, guys like us love this, Oh, what do you have? That's new. It's interesting. And that's fun. It's really hard to be profitable doing that because okay. you don't, you don't have the consistency. And I remember, my distributor 2012 maybe they were telling me about and they were the ones that served they sold pabst i think it was and they were telling me about how the paps numbers were down one month uh, a year before that and they had gone in this gas station that sold whatever it was like three cases a week every week for like 15 years and they're like oh what did we do wrong why'd you take it out he goes oh no no jim died and he's like oh, oh jim was buying all of it And so, I mean, ultimately, you can create a strong, lasting, consistent business by having Jim sit in that chair every three days a week and ordering the same damn beer five at a time. And so, so there's a to go model, what you're gonna bring back to Canada, maybe not as interesting. And there's also the I need consistent income every day and regulars that come on Wednesdays that are off days. And maybe you've got to have something stoic and boring to do that. I don't know. But that Hmm. that seemed
0: to be what worked for us. Interesting. I think that's key as well, because I always try and think of it from both sides, like both from the drinker who kind of wants to try something different, particularly if it's like, if it's something, how do I say it? If I, okay, if I if it's my local guys, when I say just within around Ontario, and I've got a store here, which they actually legally only started during COVID in Ontario. I don't know if you, you probably are familiar, but the LCBO, it's the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, is the largest alcohol purchaser in the world. They basically had everything in a stranglehold, then they opened it up to, um, or oh, they had this other place called The Beer Store, which kind of sucks dick, it used to be, uh, it's owned by, um, it used to be government, but now it's owned by the big guys, like I think Molson and um, Sapporo and someone else owns it, it's kind of whack, um, so they, that's where all the people who just buy cases of blood and shit typically go. The LCBO is pretty dope now, they've got a big craft section and everything, they're really big supporters of everything, but it's still a bureaucratic headache to get in. Then they opened grocery stores, but even that was pretty hard to get a, uh, a skew in there. But I think that's changing, and they they did a test run of only 150 grocery stores in the whole province, which is the most populous province in canada which is so it's not many but i think they're opening that up but then what they did is they say to supplement income for cafes restaurants bars uh during covid they let them uh sell packaged alcohol which was never allowed before uh as long as it was sold with a food item so they have like those mini bags of chips for like 50 cents or someplace sold me a mint <laughs> for 25 cents because they food. had to it's yeah. food and like that you know it's bullshit but it's like negligible and you get a pack of chips like sweet uh, i'm not mad at that so there's this cafe here in in hamilton where i'm at that i love i always shout them out duran they're the best they got the best beer fridge in, in ontario because the owner drives to the best breweries every week and gets all the new shit so for the as a local for the breweries that i really love i like trying all their the new stuff every week I think that's what I want, and often those guys, a couple of my favorites, like there's a brewery called Third Moon, another one called Badlands, they almost like every year around the same time will drop the same beer, but they're only going to be available once that year, and then Third Moon, for example, has a couple of flagships that are basically always um, available. Which is dope. But if I'm traveling and I'm going to a new brewery and I don't know much about it, I'm like, you know, we went to Allagash. Fucking, we're going to have Allagash White, it! Like, you're going to have it. But if it's a brand new brewery, I've never been there, I'm like, what's your flagship? What's the one? Let me try that. I want to try it. It's the complete opposite if it's new to me. Because that beer is mm-hmm. still new to me. So none of the beers, all of them are fun. None of them are boring to me. And I want to know, like, if I'm trying to understand your brewery, if I'm going to have... I would never go to a brewery really for the most part, and have one. I'd always have at least two I like to do. Unless I'm like on a little fucking, what's it called? Like a crawl or something. And I'm like, I did that in Portland, Maine. There's a bunch of places I had like one beer. ah, It was annoying to me, but I got the vibe of more places by doing that. So cool. But I would probably like to try a flagship and then something new. Something like fun and and different. Just because then like I get two experiences. I'm like, all right, this is what you're selling year-round, and this is what your funky shit is for this week. Dope. Then I'm like, cool. I kind of get what you're about, you know? So I think there's like value for different types of drinkers, but I see what you're saying where you're talking about the locals who were just like, give me their lager and they buy a case of that shit once a week or once every two weeks and whatever it might be. And you know, that's that repeat business. So that makes sense to me. It, well, and it
1: sounds like, interestingly, uh, I knew about the LCBO. I did not realize that that was exclusive. Uh, when I was talking to, that was it? I think Steam Steve whistle? over at the, yeah, Steam whistle. He was telling me, um, that, Greg, that they had great relationship. Greg Taylor, that's what it was. Yeah, I sort of he was telling me they before. had a great relationship with them and that it worked really well in, in the States. Yes. We have so many places that you can distribute packaged beer to that it really over the, especially like the 2016 through and then COVID just exploded. But that drove decisions for a lot of breweries. Like how do we hit retail and even seasonals were a pain in the ass. So I remember. The largest liquor store in Texas, it was like 08 that I was trying to starting to talk to them about like, okay, the, the seasonal thing, I know some breweries are doing it where they have one skew. Mm. So they go into you and they're like, hey, approve seasonal skew at 87 stores. And then they don't have to get the, the fruited milkshake IPA that they released in February reapproved because they've already got that seasonal fruited skew, right? Mm. And he was like, yeah, we're doing away with that. We're not going to let them do that anymore. So now they're going to have to go back to getting every beer approved. That changes the entire business. That's right. uh, They were 150 stores in Texas alone. And if that was part of your business, you now had to go back and figure that out. That's not a small thing.
0: No. That's the one thing I have noticed a lot in a lot of breweries. uh, You know, talking about like I heard the taxation is a big thing, and I know that differs obviously, probably city by city, let alone state or province. And um, the second thing is just the red tape, bro. Like all. Uh, answer this actually i'd be curious about texas because you'll probably be aware like so in quebec and ontario a lot of the rules are um leftovers from the 20s from the um prohibition days like there was laws in quebec that from i think 1928 was the 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 main alcohol law and they only allowed serving in growlers and brewing in cool ships within the last like five years which is fucking insane insane like cool ships what would that have to do with anything about protecting the consumer from rampant alcoholism like oh that's it's got bacteria in it yeah like, oh, like marijuana is legal in federally in canada i can buy gummies there is more weed stores in hamilton in this city than anywhere in the country this is where it was piloted so i can buy weed on every other street corner which is dope because I'm a gummy, I'm an edible guy, I think it's lit, but I just order it online anyway. I can be fucked going to a store. But I just like that it's available. So what the fuck are you overly regulating alcohol at a time when there's like they, I actually saw these stats. There's more people are uh, more households supported and more people employed by craft brewers who have five uh, percent of the market as opposed to twelve percent in the state. So five percent of Canada, Canada's market is craft, but the breweries have like I think craft breweries have like seventy or eighty percent of the uh, employees, like the employment. So. All they're doing is hurting businesses. They're stopping revenue opportunities at a time when inflation's through the roof and interest rates are crazy and groceries are out of control everywhere in the world. I know it's not local at all, but I just can't fathom why in during COVID. So there was some sort of you know emergency where they were like, you know what? Cafes can now stock fucking sell cans of beer. Go and do it. Thank you. know Like, uh, like, so cool so pull down these other bullshit laws too but then they kept the taxation and they kept all of this red tape that stops you from uh shipping into provincially and uh you know even in quebec you can't do like in ontario it's dope you can i can order online they'll ship to you like it's they have full systems in quebec they can't do that so and but ill you know, the ontario brewers could only ship within the province they can't ship to any anywhere else so yeah, like, is it similar in Texas where they have these absurd, dated, archaic laws that are just holding the industry hostage?
1: Yeah, well, there's different, different ways, thing, I guess. And I, I wish I could remember where I heard it because I don't like to necessarily say these things without being able to tell you exactly which subsection of a law it's in. But I used to complain a lot. So every state pretty much has an ABC. So ours is TABC, Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission. Okay. And... We, we we all bitched about them, right? Like everything, other alls are all stupid. The way they handle stuff is stupid. The way they make us do reporting is stupid. And they they literally are like fighting against us. And then we all complain. And then so I I don't remember where I read, but TABC's actual motto, like their 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 model, the reason they were created, their job is not to just regulate alcohol.
0: Okay.
1: It is specifically at their annual meeting, they are tasked with the job of limiting the consumption of alcohol in the state. And they actually look at their success or failure based on the actual consumption level of, of ethanol in the state of Texas. Jesus. And when you think of it through that lens, you're like, well, no fucking wonder they're paying the ass. They don't want us drinking. That's their job. Wow. And so now it's like, well, I should be mad at the politician, not at TABC, but ultimately that's the whole point.
0: Do you think I would that, imagine it's something similar. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, it's probably the same similar in other states and other provinces and arguably other countries.
1: Interesting. Yeah, so so they're taxing consumption the same way that like we tax cigarettes and right. cigarettes used to be like an eighty cent tax, now it's like a seven dollar tax because they're trying to limit you from doing it. It doesn't right. work. But um, you and I know that, that one guy we talked about, Hendo. Mm-hmm. Do you yes. know what the taxes are? The tax rate is on alcohol in Uh, Australia no what is it blew my mind I think I think in Texas TABC charges I mean it's it's like a couple bucks a barrel I don't know what it is it it
0: isn't much 50% in Australia I'm not surprised I remember every time I go back I am fucking gobsmacked at how expensive beers are my favorite is called banks I think to get a four pack of their haze is about $60 Australian which is yeah, about the same k- government. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being at a bar and because I'm visiting I hadn't seen anybody for a while. everyone's buying me beers and I know this was it was a tap takeover at one of my favorite like beer bars so it was from that brewery called Tool T O then the O with the mm-hmm. thing through it yeah. Um it was like $19 half pints. Half pints. And people were just like yeah yeah yeah. And they're just buying them for me like as if they were used to it. I was like this is just out of control. Like I'm like in the States. I go to Vermont, because I used to go at the time I was living in Montreal, so I went to Vermont all the time. It's like eight bucks, like for a pint almost anywhere type of thing. And I just I couldn't get past it. Yeah. So Australia is like screwed really bad. And Canada has a really bad tax thing because it's, I guess, democratic socialism here. So I don't think the socialism works super well. The healthcare sucks, ass but um things are supposed to work better by paying higher taxes and I I get the concept of it, but with regard to alcohol, it's, that's so interesting you say that, that their job is to restrict the the consumption of ethanol. So I wonder, I wonder if there's a way to find out if the, if other regulatory bodies in, in different places are doing the same thing, because that's the only thing that would make sense. It's like their policies are so ridiculous that the only possible thing that they could be out to achieve is to regulate and reduce consumption. But, Whilst I understand that, we do have to realize that alcohol is a, you know, it's a drug technically and it isn't the healthiest thing in the world for people. You look at, I don't know, like, coming back from the States for cities like Savannah, Georgia, Key West, and Las Vegas, where you can just drink in the streets and no one gives a fuck. Like, there's basically all the rules that everywhere else, like, it just feels like you just wild out. But everything was very... In all of those places, I mean, Vegas is probably a little bit of a different story, but Savannah was super chill. (laughs) Key West was super chill. I didn't know about either of those places until we went there. Then they told us at the hotel and I was like, what? Let's go. And you're like, it was fun, but nothing was out of control. So it's almost like that all of the rules, like, you know, people walk around smoking weed here all the time. So what difference is if I'm walking around drinking a beer? Like, it makes no difference. Like, I just don't see the level of um, you know, I guess, spending on um, what's the word, like policing all of this stuff. You've actually got literal people that you know, if a cop sees you drinking a beer and walking down the street, you're going to get fined and whatever or whatever happens. I imagine it's just a fine, but then you got the cats, the you know. Sleeping in tents in parks, shooting up and waving their dicks at children's and they're fine, I guess. But you know, but if I'm drinking my beer down the street, God help me, and you know, I should go to jail. Like it's just like it's also backwards, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And these breweries, these companies are small businesses like yours. You and your wife own this business. I'm sure you invested a lot of money, like six, seven figures at minimum, into this business. And you're employing people, but they're making your life harder and they're making it just so difficult. And I feel like at this point. It's not prohibition anymore. People have learned how to regulate it. There's some people who don't, but there's a lot of people on meth and heroin and all this shit anyway. So like, you know, I, I just don't really see the the problem as not what it was in the 20s. And well, you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of that, but it, it all, the illog- illogicalness of it all is is infuriating to me. And I'm not even financially involved in the industry at all. I'm just on the out peripheral. So it drives me nuts, dude.
1: Yeah, well, I think. I mean, I, obviously, I don't, I don't live in Canada, but my my opinion of some of where that comes from, at least here in the states, is that we're really, really bad at uh, taking responsibility for our actions as a as a country. And hmm. personal responsibility is not something that gets held up very often. So, okay. if we can say that I wouldn't I wouldn't be an alcoholic if the laws were better, it's almost in that sense, right? Like, sure. I don't, do you guys have uh, the same? So, what in here? Spirits, wine, and beer can all do different things. Okay. Meaning So like spirit so with spirits, you you can go to a distillery, you can drink a th- flight, you can only buy two bottles a month, none on Sunday, and
0: they That's can't a religious shit. shit. Yeah, we don't have that.
1: You can go to you can go to a winery, mm-hmm. they can be open seven days a week. You can buy wine there, and they can ship it to you, and there's no limit, mm-hmm. and then you can go to a brewery, they can't ship it to you, they can be open seven days a week, What what's the difference? Like, it, But all of them are different. Even the marketing laws are different, where you, wine can incentivize, spirits can incentivize in ways that beer can't, the laws are all different, and in Texas it's even different if you make a 3.5% alcohol beer, your laws
0: are different than if you make a 4% alcohol beer. Wow. Okay, I know the taxation's different. Um, Here, I think it's like it's called, there's like beer, strong beer. I think if it's over 6%, it's extra strong beer. Like it's all this ridiculous, uh, do they even say it on here? Maybe because this one is not a LCBO beer. Like if you put it in the LCBO, you've got more rules because Godspeed doesn't distribute, so there's no barcode. So they don't have any um, rules or anything on it. But the... Uh, in Ontario, you can only buy spirits from the LCBO. That's it. Period, and all the di- all the distillery. That's it. Um, but there's no. I don't believe there's any restriction as to when they can open. Usually, I find the Sundays are usually places that were previously or are based on religion. I think, if I'm not mistaken, like mm-hmm. you know, um they in Quebec blue laws. Blue. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. In Quebec, there's a the equivalent of the LCBO it's called the SAQ. Um, and that is also the only place you can buy spirits in Quebec. In Quebec, they have you can buy all wines from the SAQ. In the supermarket, you can only buy... And I don't know how they separate it, but it's shit wines. And I don't know how to, else to explain it, but they're like lower quality, weird brands, blends, nothing <clears> good. That's all cheap and nasty. And then you go to SAQ, then you get the proper you know, Canadian and Italian and French and American stuff. Like, I... I don't get no it. No obvious delineation. It's just like, it. Just you don't think it's coincidental that it
1: all just happens to suck because there's only certain um, conglomerates that can go in there. It, but it could it, just it's be a that. Taster. Yeah. It could be it's that. It's a taster. A taster. It's, it's like, no, this wine's good. You need to go it's good. to the other one. <laughs>
0: Imagine, imagine if that's what it is, but it's like, yeah, just even thinking of that, that's really how it works here. So it's like, and I know, yeah, every, every sort of place is different. Like I feel like in the, in, can you buy spirits in the grocery store in Texas? No.
1: So there's a whole other piece of that too, where they're, they're actually like, even at the grocery store, the beer aisle, they would lock that shit like Saturday at midnight, I think. And you couldn't open it until noon on Sunday Uh, no, no grocery stores can sell liquor. Uh, you can't sell liquor at a gas station. So, you know, fireball, I assume you guys have that up there. Yeah. yeah. So fireball in response to not being able to sell in the convenience stores, they actually made a malt based version of the little like individual shots and they can sell that shit at the convenience store. And I think they're killing it with it, uh, which makes a lot of sense. So it's like, it's the same brand, but it's not made the same. And so it's okay to sell that
0: one see like this is when it becomes like it's like we're like a victim to our own archaic rules and and like politicians are the only ones that can change it but they benefit so much financially from lobbyists and all this type of stuff and then no. there's probably a lot of people who are just stuck in their ways and like this, we do it this way because we've always done it this way and then all of a sudden you get these stupid ass rules and shit that like I don't know it just doesn't really help I, I, I think for it and I do understand the, like I mentioned before the alcohol thing that you know we're talking about things that probably aren't best for people however i don't know canada once again if you want to even i've been learning a lot about this recently about the uh the politics stuff i never gave a shit in my life until like the COVID times and i started really starting to learn so america being a capitalist country i'm sort of surprised that they that that there's so still so many ridiculous rules because you guys have a lot less sort of a, I don't want to say I was going to say oppressive. It's probably not the right word, but just sort of like difficulties and, and sort of red tape. Maybe there's different. It's like different red tape. There's certain things here that we get. You know, as a business owner, we can't do that. I see, and I barely see anyone here. If you want to talk about beer, that have a, a second tap room. Whereas almost everywhere I've been this year, I, I would say. I'm pulling this out of my ass like 60 to 70% of breweries that I've been around this year I when I've you know traveling drive driving to Florida driving to New England and I think we went to western to, to Buffalo and Rochester like yeah 60 70% have a secondary location whereas here it's like almost impossible to do that like it really is super difficult there's the red tape around that is bonkers so it's like just small things like I just don't understand that when we're going through an economic downturn which tends to happen it's you know still all fake but here we are why do these rules persist? Like I just don't see any value in, in that. I just don't see how that's helping. And people are struggling to afford rent and groceries, and more and more people here in Canada, which never happened before, are sleeping in tents in parks. Whereas that, you know, yeah. skid row's been around forever and everywhere in the states. I feel like had a lot more hardship because of that. Capitalist, it's kind of fend for yourself. Where in democratic socialist countries, you're supposed to be taken care of. But it's got to the point where everyone's paying so many taxes and everything's so expensive that one little rise in rent there's people who aren't addicts or uh, have mental health issues are just on the street because they have nothing else they're nowhere else to go like it's fucked it's a really bad time dude i'm like just i just don't understand why one little bureaucratic adjustment could change everything for businesses and therefore employ more people and then help people get back on their feet and generate you know i just don't understand it's just i don't know it's just crazy to me seeing all of this you know yeah well, don't ask American
1: politicians to figure it out. We can't even figure out how to make a budget as a government <laughs> every year. And that's based on numbers and facts and figures. Like, how, how the fuck can you not make a budget? I don't understand,
0: <laughs> but... Look, lie, they can't do that here either. So it's... Uh, yeah. I just think the whole... It seems to me everywhere... And I, I bitch about this to my australian friends and they're like oh yeah it's fucked here they're telling me all the same problem so i'm like it really does seem to be a global thing right now but it's just like if some laws could be removed i know we're kind of like tangenting we're supposed to be talking about other stuff but i don't know we we're on the same wavelength so you get it but yeah i just like it just makes no sense to me how they just don't help uh, you know companies like breweries who employ like a lot of breweries don't just have like one or two employees some do but most of them probably have a number of employees, like any given restaurant or, you know, any hospitality business. And there's like front of house, back of house, you know, auxiliary, you know, cleaning, blah, blah, blah. So many different people that, that that can work there and that just, you know, want to work and want to get paid decent wages and they're just, you know, all these restrictions on breweries to not be able to make enough money to therefore be able to sell their products and pay it. You know, it's just, um, just sad and ridiculous. I don't like things that aren't logical. I'm seeing way too much of that and it's uh, it's, it's super frustrating. Um, we could bitch about that. Said, like
1: why why do you enter the alcohol industry, it's the most heavily regulated industry in the country and I used to own eight fitness centers. We had barely any regulation and I now kind of get that like at some point you can't just make whatever. Well, I actually joked about this when I first started. Everything that I did in the fitness industry to market my brewery to individual people or market my fitness center to individual people was illegal under Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission laws when I opened my brewery. I was mm-hmm. like, I can't go guerrilla marketing. I can't go door to door. You know what I mean? Like, why not? Why, why can't I go down the street and just offer free beer? Technically, as a license holder, I can't do that. And That just doesn't make any sense. I mean, people can say no if you don't want to yeah. drink. If, if I give it to a 16-year-old kid, that's on me. I go to jail
0: yeah I mean obviously you would avoid doing that because going to jail is a pretty nice uh you know um it, like a uh, repercussion that you want to avoid so it's like yeah man it's just so it's just so silly to me so I mean like even just I actually kind of feel like now in hindsight that all of this little tangent is very relevant to the conversation because it is you know a lot of the downside of being involved in the alcohol industry in, in any major way it's just it's frustrating no matter where you're based really um so getting back to your story dude like we you know you closed in september 2021 september 3rd i think you said Mm -hmm. and then since then what basically obviously you've got the you you wrote the book before you started the podcast and then you're doing a second book but talk us through what happened so from after selling that brewery and handing over the keys and you know washing your hands of the situation how did that go down from there
1: So I I stayed on as consultant for a solid month. I think it was might have been three to four days a week. Uh, Yeah, it was three days a week for the whole month. So I still made all the beer. They hadn't hired David, so it was literally just me still working there, a little bit less hours for no money. Um, But (laughs) during that time, I got my real estate license, and my wife had left in '19 to go work for a developer, and she was like, "Dude." sales history, this will be easy. And uh, I got my license October 21st, I think, because when that happened, I was wow, done with the completely. Yeah, it was, I was six weeks is when I did what I did. I, I, well, after I stopped consulting three days a week, that was my job. So it was like, you know, 10 hours a day, I was doing that. But um, but yeah, so I started doing that. And then the first two podcast episodes were released August. So before I had closed, I released those because I was starting the podcast then. But those are you know, very early examples of what was happening. And I continue to do the podcast, um, just did the real estate. I think in 2022, I made somewhere around 10 times what I made any single year in the brewing industry. <laughs> so it was a good year. And I had time to do the podcast, really evolved that. And like I said, just kind of re- restructure what I was doing and had a lot of fun with it. But there were times I'd take two months off of doing episodes and -hmm. and then, you know, it's very hard for me to find people too. I get told no a lot and I still do, but I get told no less often than I did back then. So
0: So maybe just explain the whole concept of, of the podcast in in general. I feel like we sort of did, but maybe we didn't really go into it um, in general. So like, yeah, what was the, what, Yeah, obviously it's how not to start. It was the podcast was always how not to start a damn brewery. Not the fucking was the book, right? It was. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so to
1: complete transparency, to be perfectly honest, I wrote the book. The book is about what I went through. The book is about the mistakes that I made. There was a lot of industry commentary, but at the end of the day, I tried to keep it mostly about things that I knew what I was talking about and the things I had facts and figures for. And it, it was failure. It was, I mean, there was a lot of depression and like just, you know, sadness and dealing with that and having to accept that. I'm telling you that I lost money. I'm telling you that I went into business and I didn't do a good job and I didn't learn how to be profitable. And I knew that I wasn't, but I felt very alone. And so a lot of the beginning of the podcast was me exploring what happened with other people as a bit of validation, to be perfectly honest, Hmm. that I'm not the only one that's experiencing this. And I knew that it was rampant. I didn't know how deep it went. And the more and more that I've been talking to people um, I can tell you that I personally couldn't tell you one brewery that I knew for a shit beyond a shadow of a doubt is profitable on a three year period, except for one <laughs> because I've seen their numbers. But
0: they do 25 million a year, so it's a little different, but right. Okay, so it was, I mean, I, I kind of like that. It's like therapeutic for you, really, like initially, extremely. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, I think that's actually quite healthy if you really want to think about that. Like, that's actually. Um, that's dope. so then if so then you started the pod and the idea just like to break it down because you told me when we were talking um as far as the things you talk about on these podcasts with breweries a, a pretty like i don't mean it in a bad way like invasive like you're asking some pretty mm-hmm. like detailed questions and uh you know they have to send you some 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 documentation um Uh, as far as like the P&Ls and things like that to sort of show, you know, to really like get into it because you're really trying to drill down on the mistakes. So the breweries that you're selecting, because this is, you know, one of the things you and I were talking about was that, um, you know, my podcast is very like, Hey, tell me about your story. Let's fucking chat, you know, and yours is more like, tell me how you fucked up. Like it's very, uh, you know, different approach. So like, how do you select your potential guests for the pod? Well, I do a lot of research and like obviously on social
1: media is where you get a lot of it, but like kind of just researching the story and whether it's interesting. And I say on the podcast many times, like I don't interview dipshits that made shitty beer and ugly packaging. Cause we know why that didn't work. Right. That's, there's no story there. Right. Like, so <laughs> there are breweries that I'm like, wow, they went out of business. I don't want to tell that story cause they're fucking stupid and they made gross beer. Um, but so again, I get told no a lot, so I don't always get the guys that I want. Although I will admit some of the people that told me no, told me no early because they didn't want to be the one guy told me that he did not want to be the poster child for failure. And I, there's no argument to that. I totally get it. Right. Like I was the poster child. I am (laughs) the poster child for failure. So it's,
0: it's a lot to take. And and so I get it. A lot of people want to walk away. Um, I mean, I I told you that finally, go ahead. No, no, that's it. I was just, yeah, man, I get it. I totally Um, get it.
1: Cause so I, I think I told you that I finally got a guy from uh, the UK to reach back cause I've reached out to a lot of them. And so really dug a lot last night into sort of the Instagram side of what the beer industry in the UK looks like. And this is a thing that comes up a lot in the podcast is how did you close? Okay. And some people just stop posting, stop making beer. You never hear from them again cause they don't want to face it again. Totally get it. Then there's like the closing party and like it, And then there's, we're closing tomorrow, get in here. But some people will give you like four, six weeks. Second self in Atlanta, I was able to go out there. I interviewed the guy and he's like, well, we're closing in a month. And I looked at the calendar I'm like, I can be there. I will be there at the closing. Um, But anyways, in the UK, no one had a closing party. And I'm not saying no one did, but no one online that I could find that closed in 2023 did anything other than the letter on the last photo that says, hey, we're all really glad we got to share these memories with you uh
0: this is going to be the last weekend peace out you know what i mean at the end of the day interesting so it's like there's many different i didn't think about that actually different approaches to closing and i've seen all of them all of the above um which is interesting was there like did anyone that you spoke to ever have a reason for doing it like aside from like Was it really just like, I don't want to face it? Like, it's really that serious that they were embarrassed or something as opposed to like, hey man, let's celebrate what we had and let's go out with a bang. They would rather just disappear. Then obviously people are going to fucking talk about it. Like people are going to know that they don't exist no more.
1: Yeah, no, so, I think, I don't know if I told you this part, but one of the reasons at the end of the day, the ultimate reason I started the podcast in the beginning, like it ended up being therapeutic, it ended up allowing me the opportunity to have other people back me up that I'm not the only dipshit who can't run a brewery in the country. But the reason I ultimately started it is that in 2019, when I sat with my wife, this is over, we can't figure this out. When I wrote the outline that ultimately became the book, it was like, what did I do wrong? I was looking for this podcast. I started looking in the beer industry, like who the hell is talking about the business of crap beer? How can I find out what to do better and how to, how to run my business? Okay, that doesn't exist. What about wine? Uh, what about spirits? I couldn't, no one was doing a business of, of ethanol production podcast talking about how to do it better. And I was like, well, hopefully someday someone will come along and take this from me. But for now, this shit's got to get said because of, and I apologize, It's a long way to get back to that. No, it's all right. The embarrassment, the embarrassment piece. I
0: right. didn't want to
1: close because I was embarrassed. I talked to other brewery owners around me who are still open sort of, to this day, who were like, dude, we're not profitable either. We're getting our ass handed to us. Like last month, it cost me 20 grand to stay open, but no one wants to close. And I felt like there was a piece of that too, where by telling these stories, I'm allowing that person not to remortgage the house and to maybe not continue to, to do it, to just to be able to accept that maybe this isn't going somewhere and maybe my talent to be better used in another industry or or, God forbid, go work for another brewery and not have to worry about losing money every month,
0: which I interviewed
1: a guy in Austin about two weeks ago that that's what he did. He closed the brewery, he went took a head brewer job,
0: and he was laughing and smiling and giddy about it because he was like,
1: dude, it's five. I clocked out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I totally get that because there's a lot of pressure being the owner. You know, like, there's a lot of, like, I have employees for my company, and, like, it's, you got to make payroll. You got to fucking pay those payroll taxes by the 15th of every month. Like, it's, uh, you know... It's hectic. What did you do, by the way, when you closed? Did you do the announcement? Did you do the party? Like, did you do four weeks notice? What did you do?
1: Yeah, I kind of had a different situation. So uh, I haven't mentioned, but I would joked with people when I left. Uh, I think actually one of my first podcasts with Jody, I may have said it on there, but uh, I, I was curious who was going to take the mantle of the most hated brewery owner in Texas, because, uh, I was by far, and if, and if I was second place, you wouldn't know the difference, but, uh, there was an online, especially there was, I was definitely one of the most hated brewery owners in Texas. And so, cool. with the, so there's a bunch of reasons for that. One, I, and I actually put in the book, don't, one of my mistakes was to give every fuck you have about online beer reviews. And there's this period where, untapped the facebook groups they were just like brutally fucking mean about beers they didn't like or if you had an overcarved bottle or whatever like super easy to replace it but they were just they would just go online and just eviscerate you where it's like oh, yeah. hey i had this bad bottle clearly the guy that makes it rapes babies it was, it was essentially <laughs> where the conversation would go and i got okay. mad um yeah. and i have a little bit And so I used it more often than I should have. Um, and that was a mistake. i definitely learned from that somewhat. Um, but anyways, it it was mostly online, but there there also was, I think there were some other reasons for it. Uh, We just dissect that they're completely, um, theoretical, but, uh, anyway, my point being that I recommended that the owners really do a Kelly's gone, Let's have a, like, fuck, like, like, burn an effigy to me. Like, have some fun with it. I was like, dude, you guys should really play this up. And <laughs> they didn't want to do that. And I think there's actually real nice people. that. They, well, I, I mean, I know they're nice people. I think that's why they didn't do it. But we did finally have a, oh, I don't even remember when it was. I think it was after, it was maybe two weeks after I finally stopped consulting. And so maybe six, eight weeks after I left, that they did have a, you know, goodbye to the Myers party and Lindsay and I showed up and, and. Yeah, a lot of our friends were there and it it was a nice, nice event. But um, again, they didn't have to do that. And I recommend it. They didn't, but um, I enjoyed it while I was there.
0: Okay. That's cool though. Uh, Yeah. It's a tough one. I definitely understand it, but I mean, like, you know, I imagine you probably have as well. I've read a lot of my favorite thing I read is biographies. And I always, you know, like, I feel like most people who have become successful have failed like 17 times before they've nailed it. And they write books about their failures because that's what's made them who they are. So I don't I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed about failure. I, I, I had so many different businesses, obviously nothing to the level of what you're doing before we get to ours, which is profitable, and we bought a house off it, we have employees and blah, blah, blah. But like, I've done a whole bunch of things over the years. Nothing worked until this did. It just is what it is. It's part of the thing. You got to shoot, you know, throw shit at the wall and see what happens. And, you know, maybe in... In beer, it's a little different or judge, ju- beer is very judgmental. The The drinkers are, that pisses me off too. The fact that they, like, I pride myself because I know guys, like guys like yourself. And we, you know, just like you do, you and I both talked and you were, you know, you are the type of person I talk to and, and you are talking to the same people I talk to. And I, so you get to know these people and you spend two, three, four, five hours with them and like, you like them. And sometimes you become friends. And I'm like, who the fuck am I to go and shit talk anything? Like, I'm the fucking, like, arbiter of great beer. My palate's the god tier <laughs> palate. Like, you know what? Sometimes you get a bad can. Or sometimes you don't like it. So I'm very cautious with the language I use. And I don't use this platform to shit on anybody because I don't feel that is... Uh, it's not getting anybody anywhere it doesn't make me feel good it doesn't make any like the, the people I'm shitting on feel like why would you do that so like if a beer is that bad i probably wouldn't review it or like if there's a brew i really didn't like i wouldn't have them on the podcast or something you know i mean i don't want to like deal in negativity i don't think i don't see that as being positive but i feel like what you're doing is is well, it could be perceived as like kind of what you have telling me as maybe not so positive. I feel like it in ultimately it is because you're providing answers. You're not dwelling on you fucked up. Like you're just like, hey man, I I you know I my brewery closed too, so you know I had to sell. So what what did you you know? Let's see how what went wrong with you. And then you you like maybe you should tell it because what you told me about what you're trying to do with the podcast. Can you maybe explain that as far as like the number of episodes you're aiming for and then what you're going to do once you get that episode. Because I really feel that, like, if people don't understand what you're doing with the pod, like, the, the next step really breaks it down. And I think that is, like, it's going to be an invaluable tool for brewery owners, like, moving forward.
1: Yeah, so, like you said, like, my my goal is not to berate somebody for the failure. I think it's actually the opposite. And the, the point is to say that, not only are, are we all in this together, but that we are all experiencing many of the same things. And the breweries that you think are more successful than you, more profitable, have better distribution, they're not. And mm-hmm. as we're learning that as we talk to each other, you know, from Oregon to Florida, and I think my whole goal, and I'm struggling because I want to write it down, but I, I know that it would be better to not, is my whole goal with this thing is, I really want to get to hundred episodes, And at that point, legitimately consolidate all of this together where I can kind of lay each interview over it and then look at what's consistent. So is it, is it rent that kills us 80% of the time? Is it, um, over underfunded budgets or distribution within your home market? Is that come up 72% of the time? Um, and, and I think more and more, I'm seeing some of those things. And I did do an article for Brewbound that was, were, did incorporate some of those, but I, I didn't do it as an exhaustive list. And I didn't, I did it more anecdotally, like this continues to come up. And in this interview, he said this, and in this interview, she said that. Um, but ultimately that's my goal is to get, I don't think I'll make it to hundred. I told you 75, that's my worst case, but I really would rather do
0: hundred episodes and then just figure out all the, all the similarities. It's and they write a book with it. So. It's such a dope idea. So for people who don't know, I mentioned it before, the tribe of mentors from Tim Ferriss. So he took like, I don't can't remember how many people, but like a whole bunch of successful people and gave them like essentially a questionnaire that they filled in and printed that in the book and then extrapolated the commonalities. And something that you said to me was that like maybe you might be better if you just say it. What what you said to me when we had our initial chat. Could you repeat Mm. that on here? Because I just thought that was so poignant. And I think it was exactly that, you know, you can, you know what I'm talking about? About how you can learn more from, yeah. yeah. So
1: so I've read that book and I listened to his podcast for years. And I'll be perfectly honest, like I stopped listening to it because of the fact that the strength of his podcast became the weakness for me in the sense that it was sort of the same story. It was like, oh, you also get up at 5 a.m., drink a wheatgrass shake and exercise. that clearly isn't the only reason that you're successful, but it, it isn't hurting and it's definitely leading towards it. And so the more and more I really tried to incorporate some of these things in my life, again, I, I think Tim Ferriss is great, but I just, I felt like there wasn't new information there. And for me, I've read you know multiple books on success. I've listened to how I built this, the podcast, oh, I love very that. similar stories over and over. But I feel like these stories of failure are teach because there's a million ways to fail and it seems like there's only like two or three to succeed. Like you kind of always have to do the same thing, get lucky, be in the right place and have a shit ton of money and then customers that like you. But the way these that these businesses are failing, I guarantee you, you could extrapolate the same things over the hospitality industry. There's probably the fitness industry. So many people that are going out of business are all experiencing some of the same
0: things. And I think there's a lot more to learn from failure than there is from success. And that's ultimately the goal. I just love that so much, man, that, that that as a business owner, that's a book I would, regardless of the industry though, like, obviously I'm interested in the industry you're talking in uh, talking about, but I bet, I bet you a million bucks, the lessons that you would extrapolate from those craft breweries would apply to essentially any industry. Um, and I just like, I just find that inspiring and I find it just sort of like helpful because if, we if I'm trying to read that book and I've got a marketing agency alongside others, you know, I guess this is a business technically. Um, and I'm seeing all the different things like, oh, this went wrong, this one. I'm like, oh, okay. Because it's not just going to be specifics about, oh, yeah, the red tape. I mean, there'll be some of that and stuff, but I bet a lot of the things would just be applicable across uh, every industry. So it sounds like a type of book that no matter what you're into, if you are either starting a business, you already have a business, you're thinking about starting a business, like, that's the type of shit you need to read. To really like just sort of prepare yourself for the worst case and to try and avoid. If you can, avo- there's nothing like better than someone who's done it telling you what to avoid because you're like, oh shit, you're saying to, okay, cool. And you could just be in the middle of it. But I feel like a lot of people maybe don't listen. Um, I always feel like, imagine, you know, like when we we're kids and your parents are telling you don't do stuff, you're like, yeah, whatever, and <laughs> you go and do it. My girlfriend's cousin works for us, he's 25, I'm 42. He's a champion. I love this guy. I've told him multiple times certain different things that I've learned in life, and he just doesn't listen. And I was like, oh, that's probably what it's like having kids. Like, we don't have kids. So it's like, okay, he's not listening. He just probably needs to make the mistakes himself. But that's different when you're 25. When you're an adult and you're about to invest money or you have already invested money into a business and you'll be able to get some insight onto maybe some other people who have been successful or not been successful and maybe what you can avoid, like, that's... Like that's like, um, incredible intel that, that you would yeah, just,
1: well, you want. Well, the hope would be that the industry would be stronger and that the breweries that are continuing to be open would shore up their resources and, and ultimately maybe find that profitability that my guests and I weren't able to find. Mm. And like you said, outside of the industry too, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see because at the time, who knows what'll happen between now and then or how long it'll take me to do it. But it may very well be the largest um, study on failure ever (laughs) created. So it may have a lot of interesting things for people outside the industry. But um, yeah, I think the restaurant one is obvious that, you know, there's, there's definitely overlap
0: there um, in general, but yeah. What, how many episodes deep are you now? I have just released the 50th and
1: I am behind. I think I have seven episodes recorded that I haven't released yet. Okay. And, an interview next week and hopefully an interview the week after and so I do 10 episodes per season and I have literally never started a season with more than two recorded so
0: I'm I'm like deep but you're killing it okay hey man that's positive that's good um I love that I just I don't know I'm excited for you I think it's so cool and I really hope you get to that at 100 like level you know 75 is cool too but, like, I don't know. I mean, it might just take a little longer to get to the 100 if that's the case. Because, like we were saying earlier, like, it's different when you're trying to analyze someone's failures and maybe there's an, a level. Like you said, people don't want to be the po- – because there's so many other people, it's like if you're asking someone now. If it was for episode one, I can understand the pushback. But if there's 57 episodes, you know, you've got 50 out, you got seven more in the canon, like, you know, like – no one's the poster boy for shit. You are essentially trying to make yourself the poster boy for that because you're the one who's <laughs> like, hey, my brewery didn't work out. I sold that shit. Let's talk about it. Like, you know, you've, you've really been um, very, um uh, what's the word? Humble. Uh, as far as like, you know, you're, you're like taking those shots on the chin. You're like, yeah, man this is what fucked up, but I want to find out what fucked up with you. So then like I can find out how everybody messed up and then now how everyone in future can, can avoid that. Like that's like a community service essentially. It's, it's very cool, dude. I love the whole, yeah, I love well, the whole thing.
1: And I've started kind of explaining it that way too. in the, the quote unquote pitch that I give to people, but you yeah. know how many times, and I'm sure you see it online too, with the, somebody announces they're closing and I, maybe, maybe Reddit's the worst, maybe Facebook is. And, just the comments and the guesswork and the oh yeah no I had that shitty barley wine they made in 2014 no wonder they went out of business <laughs> and it, there's a piece of that where it's like dude come on the show set the record straight what happened what didn't like why did it work and then you get to immortalize your brewery so at that point you know obviously everyone that participates going to be listed in the book and your story is going to be anecdotes that kind of come forward and so uh, for me anyways and I think a lot of people I've interviewed yes the brewery failed yes the the In my case, the brand didn't necessarily die, but what what we, when I watched them take those barrels out and like completely empty them and just switch away from the beauty of those mixed culture products that I used to make, like it's dead, it's gone, but it can live on in the book, right? Like in that, in that sense, you can immortalize your brewery.
0: And so I think that's a good piece of it too. I think that's really dope, man. I think it's very, very cool. Um, before we move on to the next beer and then a, a different topic, do you want to just pause for a sec and washroom break? I just feel like it's sure. uh, it's popping up. I'm just going to actually hit pause and uh, we'll be back in a sec. All right, back at it, fresh, ready for the next beer. Uh, Kelly, this one's going to be interesting. I, think, uh, I still don't know what you have, but I, I got something fun. Talk to me. Alright, I got a
1: big one because I figured if we're gonna go hard, the end <laughs> one should be a good one. You're right. So Hair of the Dog in Portland. Okay. The one that I interviewed. Okay. They only make hugely ridiculously high alcohol beers. Okay. So this is Matt, which is a it's bottle conditioned, twelve ounce bottle, eleven and a half percent alcohol. I actually don't know what this one is, and so that's why I'm curious to drink it. I bought a whole bunch of shit from him when he started when he closed down. So I interviewed him and he, he closed the whole thing. So, Made, there he goes. Made with various dark malts, smoked grains, and candy sugar. It has notes of apple chocolate and gratitude. During <laughs> the is- interview, it was it was an hour and a half long. I drank three of his beers, and I was fucked up. Like, there was, <laughs> I'm not even kidding.
0: I love when that happens. So these guys, I mean, that sounds kind of almost like a double or something, like a very high ABV Belgian double or something with the candy sugar? He has this cool business where he started in like the 90s
1: and he had like a small, I think it was three and a half barrels or whatever, uh, direct fire. So he did these high alcohol beers and just kind of like, you know, not the way you're supposed to, but he made whatever he wanted. So all the all the different beers are just, they're not really a style, but they're kind of based on a style. And I don't think the dude made any of He did make an IPA, which is probably under 10%, but everything else. Damn. Like 11, 12, 13. Um, he you know, like he'd make a barley wine. I think doggy claws is what that one's called. It just it was a beautiful beer. Like I've had so many high alcohol beers that were rushed fermentation or just somewhat out of balance. And everything I tasted from that guy, and I hate saying this, everything I tasted from that guy is great. Like I'm, I'm one of the people I cannot stand. That brewery does never make a bad beer, but they haven't had one yet. So
0: hey, man, I'm here for it. So Portland, Oregon. Yep. Okay, and they're called Hair of the Dog. Is the brewery Hair of the Dog? That's a dope name. Shane He's a bad motherfucker. Okay, big ups. Uh, I'm curious to see what that looks like. Um, I also chose a brewery for this one. Uh, I really feel like we aligned these perfectly, eh? Like I feel like our three beers that you didn't know—I don't think what I had. I didn't know. I definitely didn't know any of the ones that you had. I think we really like nailed these up. Um, you. Did your research, which I very much appreciated, by the way, uh, that you went and listened to, uh, you noticed that one of the recent episodes we were talking about, Barncat, which is a brewery here in Ontario that closed recently. And then you went and listened to the Barncat episode, which we're going to get into. So I figured, well, I didn't know that they made uh, saisons or Farmhouse or mixed culture beers. They were known for haze primarily. And for Crispies uh, and also Stouts. So this is their one of their final beers from the last like month called Cuvée Matt and Jeremy, who are the two uh, the two owners. And uh, it's a uh, a blended ale with um, a saison and Flanders red. So uh, hmm. I'm a big Flanders red fan, but I've never had any Barncat's, um mixed fans, So I'm excited to to see how this goes. And that's uh, cool. so it's
1: two different beers they blended together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Their stouts are just insane. Like, I do want to do that right now because they're all like 12%. I was like, oh, I'll be, uh, be over for me. Um, so exactly. I was like, what do I have I of Barncat that I can, uh, tap into that's reasonable? So I was like, you know what? I have a, I don't know about you because you own a brewery with Mixed Firms, but I feel like the beer I drink the least that I have the most of is Mixed Firms Um, for whatever yeah, so, reason. sucks. So I
1: actually, I don't drink it anymore, um, and it's—I don't—I haven't yet addressed that. and I don't know if it's just sort of the pain and suffering of the industry if it if it uh, beat it out of me. But I don't reach for mixed culture, and I—I I still have stuff in my cellar sitting in there. And I was actually gonna open one tonight, and I decided—well, I guess I did do the one from uh, Russian River, but
0: yeah. but not one of—I uh, mean, that's fair. It's a uh, it's a different situation from your side where it's you know it hits pretty close to home as far as you know drinking that stuff is is you know directly bringing up uh, rough memories there. Um, so the I don't know, do we want to, do you want to talk about hair of the dog or should we go right into? Um, your insights on into Barncat, which I thought were fascinating, because you took note, bro. You, just so people know, so you like <laughs> Kelly listened to the episode, and you sent me like, I don't know, like a reason, a very sizable amount of notes and very thoughtful notes on with quotes, because uh, uh, Nate and I had Jeremy on the pod. It was at the old place, so a year, a year or, and some change ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and um, when it was released. There you go. Fuck, you know more than me. I'm so bad with dates. And uh, you listened to it, and you took notes uh, as to what he said. And you listened to that episode with the hindsight, knowing that they closed, and you were able to maybe est- extrapolate and look into some of the things that he said, and maybe uh, foresee some of the, um, you know, the, the the outcomes from from the things that he said. Is that accurate?
1: It is, and I, I would preface that. By saying that, in a sense, he said a lot of the same things that I did, and a lot of the same things that I hear other people say, and so.
0: Okay. So nobody knows his. Yeah, right. yeah, nobody knows more about this than you right now. You're like the foremost expert on uh, <laughs> breweries that are about to fucking close. Yeah, how not to start a brewery? Yeah, um, a damn brewery.
1: But but it was. I mean, it was interesting because I, I could sense a lot of those things. I definitely heard when I heard what he was saying. Uh, I heard a guy who was trying and so I would
0: Mm. again
1: like to say that I don't think that his future was set in stone by any means and I don't I'm sure that there were things that they could have done that might have kept them open so you know going through the interview and saying hey here were some red flags is by no means saying that you know Jeremy and Matt weren't doing it right or whatever just that these are some of the same problems I'm hearing over and over and I'm Unfortunately, a lot of breweries that are going
0: through this are going to end up in the same situation that they did. So. Mm. I I like that a lot, and um, I feel like it would be kind of like a testament to your work that if we reviewed these notes and just sort of like some of the pods. So for you know for people who didn't know the, well, let me tell them which uh, episode it was. So BOS Podcast, Barn Cat, Artisan Ales. Just want to tell people what episode is. Episode one thirty four. So only. Is that right? Oh no, that me and Nate did a, a farewell have, episode. I forgot about that. It's an episode ninety five um, of this particular series. A glass of yellow milk. It was called. So that's a specific episode. Yes. By the way, cheers.
1: Yeah, cheers. Mm. This beer is crazy. Yeah, what is it in the end? It almost, it's like syrup, but not sweet. Um, okay. It's smoky, but it's nothing like a. Rock beer or whatever—it's just barely smoky. Where it that's amazing. Like I can just imagine. This is—I'm a huge red wine fan, and I would struggle to find. There are certain steaks that I would rather have this
0: with than I would red wine for sure. So. Mm. That's sick. Is it—is the smoke coming through heavy or is it kind of subtle? Super light, which is almost—I mean, I wouldn't say impossible,
1: but like I, no one can do it either. Like oh, there's no smoke, or holy shit, dude, you got
0: to back off. But yeah, this is perfect. I love it. That's sick, because sometimes the smoke if it depends on the I guess the molten of the brewer, like you know. And if you're also into that like campfire shit and the bacon thing. Um mm-hmm. if it's used subtle enough, like Godspeed, funnily enough, do the best smoke beers I've ever had. They're just always so just just subtle. I mean and it's just in the background. My favorite is like, yeah. yeah, like this, when you when you drink it you almost don't
1: taste the smoke, but when you breathe in afterwards, that's when you get it. Where it's it's subtle enough that it's it's when the alcohol dries off your tongue
0: that, like, oh, sh- there it is. Yeah, that's, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's great. Um, this is fantastic, by the way. It's sort of like, I guess, like a watered down Flanders Red. Um, big and chewy. You know, that chewy kind of like thing that happens with mixed firms. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like a, the best word for it, but it's usually just this like thing that happens in your mouth that I really find uh, works well. Um, yeah, and I guess it's just like they had the the saison, like watered down the um, the Flanders red thing. But I did a um, it came up. It was like yesterday, like four years ago in twenty nineteen. The brewmaster from uh, Rodenbach came to Montreal because some hmm. company was was bringing them out, and I had never had Rodenbach before. And, um, really? I felt, I fell in love with, yeah, I, I I was just not really my thing. Like Belgian beers were, but a long time ago. So 2019 it was, that was haze time for me. And, um, th- I got to meet the dude. I had him on the pod. Um, his name's Rudy. The, you know, I, I was like. And we had like this Brewmaster lunch, and I sat right next to him. They put pl- they put me right next to him in this lunch, and like to eat this. Like it was this fancy French restaurant in Montreal, pairing all these crazy French food with with like three of their beers that were being released in Ontario in uh, Quebec. And it just blew my fucking mind. That Bar classic is one of my favorite beers of all time. So Flanders Red, I have this utmost appreciation for it. So I was actually quite excited to crack this because of the Flanders Red style. Um, this is fucking great. I I, I really over it. It's like I've never seen it so close to the rim i'm just gonna have to you <laughs> have to top this bad <laughs> boy off i was it's gonna spill here we go mm. there we go um but this is Probably fantastic awesome. right professional so um let's talk through the badlands episode note what's the best way to go about this do you think some of the stuff that maybe t- talk oh. talk us through your thinking and everything and then we can actually do go through we'll go through the notes together and like some of the, the, the key moments that you identified well, so I, I kind of went and organized them, and,
1: and right out of the gates, he talks like the the ESP they had released, and that was a big thing that was going on right then. And, and I don't think it's why you had him on the show, but it was definitely what he was leading with. And yes. what he said a few things about that ESP, and, and as a Hayes brewery, it made me kind of rethink the, the just, I, just my my head kind of cocked to the side, right? And I'm like, what is the thought What's process going on? there? Yes. And one of the things he's one of the things he said, and you get this a lot. And I did the same thing because he was selfishly trying to make classic styles a little bit hotter again, or maybe
0: trendy is how he worded it. Okay. And Do, I, can I comment? Cool, I can right? comment on that really yeah. briefly. Um, mm-hmm. We have brought, when I say we, Nathan and I have brought this up in on the pods since then, like a dozen times because we were mind blown that the Hayes brewery would send us, an esb as a part as the first beer when they do they do lagers and pilsners that are fantastic and they chose an esb to send to us and i thought that was very telling it was very interesting to me and since then multiple breweries have sent us esbs as part of the lineup really and i we absolutely credit i don't know if they saw the Barncat one and they were like oh we should do that too <laughs> because they truly were trendsetters like they really were just so you understand the level of impact like the best breweries in my like Badlands and Third Moon, particularly in this province, as far as the uh, the haze stuff goes, uh, worship Bunkat. They started everything. And Third Moon even bought one of their fermenters that they were, you know, sell, they actually did the opposite to you. They sell, they're selling all the stuff off piecemeal. And um, mm-hmm. them sending that ESB was very, very impactful. On me personally, I, I I don't know if I credit that specifically, but it's definitely in the conversation of one of the reasons I I I love ESBs. And I couldn't believe that that's what they send. Like, I just couldn't believe it. It was so wild to me. So that's just like, it was a very big thing. And I think it maybe was important to them that they were known potentially for more than um, just... The haze and the stouts. They have a stout called Rat Queen, and they got eight hundred million variants of it, and it's (laughs) exceptional. It's got to be one of the best stouts I've ever had. Every version I've had. Um, So anyway, that was the the context there with that ESB. It was just it was it was a very left field move, and we were taken aback by it at the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, so what what I. Again, the more I go through this podcast and I did a lot of those same things at my brewery, you know, the old joke, right? Like we, we uh, drink what we can and we sell the rest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure. That's cute on paper, but we all know the biggest brewers in the world aren't sitting in boardrooms having conversations like that. If they say, I want to make ESB big again, there's a billion dollar budget behind it. Because if that marketplace doesn't currently exist, changing consumer demand is exceptionally expensive. And so, you could say they got lucky, and maybe they did. But then here's the other problem, and unfortunately, you you brought that up. The second they did it, mm-hmm. copycats abound. And so, let's say there were a thousand drinkers of ESB at the time, and Jeremy's like, "Dude, we're gonna make this." And Matt goes, "You know what? I can make it badass." And they did. They made the best fucking ESB in the in the fucking. In, where are you at? Quebec, Ontario? I forgot what you said. Ontario, um, Ontario, Same and. Issue. Because of that, now there's fourteen hundred people who or to drink that beer. So they they expanded the market. Maybe they go to two thousand, but seven other breweries all release them right behind them and have the same Instagram following and the same relationships with the LCBO. They're not That now the th- thousand that they went after, there's two thousand split seven ways. They've actually got less. And so mm. at the end of the day, they're not going to make any money. And so right. I get it. I also selfishly like to make beer that I wanted to see, but as a business moving forward, um, those are the kinds of decisions that unfortunately don't help you stay in business. So that, that would be my insight, I guess is why I, why I noticed that when he was talking about, it. and I felt terrible because ESB is also my favorite style of beer. and ah. There's only one made in Texas. I like, and they do not distribute. You have to go to the brewery and I do whenever
0: I can, but you just don't see it a lot. Interesting. That's a very good point. And honestly, I was about to give you some more context about a bunch of things, but then I realized that, like, he kind of said almost everything you needed to know in the pod. And then I'm looking, when I reviewed your notes, you kind of said it all. So I don't think I need to even tell you anything about their business model. I think you could extrapolate their business model from that conversation as we keep going. If there's anything I feel like maybe you'd, that, like, just for context, that would be helpful or bring it up. But I kind of feel like you you might have like nailed this uh, without even knowing basically jack shit about this brewery, which is dope. <laughs> well, I did find
1: one video of Matt and uh, Jeremy talking, and I, I don't know what it was on, but like I listened to one video. Uh, so I got to see the brewery, saw the size of the fermenters. So I did get a little bit of background info from that too. But Okay,
0: perfect. Um, this.
1: This is what I do all day. I just sit
0: around and pick apart businesses. <laughs> I apologize, but it's, it's a hobby. It's a sickness. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> hey it's but, what we're here for. It's what we're doing tonight. Let's go. But but again, I thought one
1: of the other telling things, and I hear this one a lot too, is I think you asked what's what was the response, or maybe it was um, Nate, the other guy. But yeah, yeah, I think maybe it was Nate. And he's Jeremy. Literally said, I think a lot of people are excited. Okay. And at that moment. I just, I literally felt for him. Like I wanted to give him a hug and I was just like, dude, I get it. That's cool. But like, there's, that is not a KPI, it's not a metric. And that is not a reason to decide to make it again. Was it right. profitable? Did it create new clients or did it um, just cannibalize your existing brands? Like what was the impact of making that beer and how did it impact your business and how are you going to pivot using that recipe and what you've learned from it going forward? And I think a lot of people are excited is is unfortunately not the answer to that question.
0: That's a great point. That's a really good point. So you're looking at this, by the way, just for context as well, is sort of like to analyze maybe if there's any signs of you know a year and a half before they close, like a little less even, uh, were there any signs that maybe things were going to wind down? And also, by, by the way, the reason they closed in the end was the landlord put the The lease up, the rent up, and for that it was to the point where it was unsustainable. And if they were to move, it would probably cost them as much as setting up a brand new brewery to move and to dig the, the fucking the floors and blah blah blah. So they called it a day. That was why. But you're seeing some even some some signs before that moment that because if a landlord saying you know said that and everything was going great you'd be like all right well we'll move cool we'll just figure it out but you're seeing a bunch of things where you're sort of noticing that "Ah, maybe you know things weren't where they needed to be to, to make this a thriving business as such
1: yeah so this what that sounds like to me is throwing darts at a board that we're trying to figure out because if at the end of the day if if your tanks were full and you were making hazy ipas and you could switch from galaxy to idaho 7 and people would still buy just as much of it. There's no reason to fill your tank with an ESB. And if, if you do do that, probably aren't making as much on the ESB, curiously. But I don't, I don't know their sales prices. But it's not a beer, typically, that people are willing to pay big money for a four-pack of in 16-ounce cans. Mm. And and so to your point, though, I, I've had this happen many times. And this is, again, part of the podcast where when somebody says, well, here's why we closed – uh, I, I get very, like my, my butthole literally tightens up. And the reason is it's never one fucking reason, bro. Like I get it. The rent went up. Okay. And that's true. And that sucks. And that's a piece of it. But if you were making $150,000 a year and a landlord goes, Hey, rent last year was 40,000. I want 70. You'd be like, fuck, that sucks. I have it. I'll pay it but I need to find a way to expand or make more money. Or again, if you're making 150 grand a year and your landlord says, I wanna go up to whatever, you can just take the excess capacity because you know we all have nine months of operating capital in our account and borrow money to open a bigger facility, expand your market share and probably be the most successful brewery in the country. So it wasn't just that the landlord raised rent. It was, again, in my opinion, not being the guy with the PL, it was that the landlord raised the rent. And that was the final straw is a better mm. way. That, that's more what I would see. And I've had that conversation. Um, I think that was second self in Atlanta. That's basically what happened with them. The landlord go, they would had 18,000 square feet. The landlord goes, Hey, um, this, the rent's coming up and I want a three exit. And they were like, <laughs> we're not making money now. <laughs> we're not doing that. Yeah. And, uh, the last person that went in to shop for it, uh, Jason actually told me that they um, the landlord chart was chart- chart quoting them five times 5x five so it was like sixty thousand dollars a month <laughs> anyways okay back to Jesus <laughs> hell. okay but um, you know another thing that I, I and I struggle with this one because I get it I think they were having fun I think that that was the whole idea but like I I can't get I can't I I deleted this note twice actually and I put it back in. The fact that they've copied Fuller's branding like just blatantly, I just I can't get my head around that one. A lot They're of breweries here do
0: it. A lot of Borises here do that. It's it's not he sounds uncommon. creative
1: though. Like make your own shit. I don't I th-
0: How do I explain it then? Bre- there's a bunch of there's one brewery here called Blood Brothers and they did a beer called Blood Light and originally it looked exactly like Blood, Bud Light. They got the C and D from Oh I heard uh, about this. Yeah. Are well, you yeah. talking about it? Yeah, those guys are fucking champions and they were laughing about it. They were like they even pitched them a collab and they said no. And but they changed it from then. So it was like The breweries that aren't distributing like Barncat are a little more um cheeky about stuff like that. And I wouldn't put it down to laziness or not creative. I was more just like that was maybe their inspiration. So like, oh, let's just do a little thing because the volume is so small. The impact on them, the chances of that getting the attention of Fuller's and getting a cease and desist is so minuscule that if they did, they'd be like, there's 20 cases of this shit, bro. Like, I don't care. Sure, it's already sold. Like, it's not going to happen again. You're good. you know. So it's like the risk was minimal. I think that's where they were coming from, and just more like they might not have ever done it again. I, I don't know if they did. I don't know if I ever saw it around. Um, I moved here like three months after that pod. Um, I don't think I ever saw that beer again, if I'm honest with you. So that would be why, like, and it's not uncommon here. I've seen it so many times. So it's more just, I think it's like a little cheeky, little, like, you know, fucking nudging the, poking the beast type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I'm happy to be disagreed with, but I can say with 100% honesty, it's one of my biggest pet peeves that, Fair especially enough, in man. the states, stealing Disney IP or fucking Nintendo IP. It's just like it exhausts me. So the Answer Brew Pub can eat the biggest fucking dick. Make oh, in your own Richmond? glassware, like yeah, they just everybody just steals IP. and It
0: just bugs the shit on me. So uh, totally. I totally, I get, I get it. I, I'm not excusing it. I was just more sort of like context. Uh I don't think it's yeah, know, whatever. I don't I don't really care. It doesn't bother me, but I, I have pet peeves and other things. So I, I totally respect the <laughs> brother. No, it's totally cool. Um well, I I'm definitely very childish say, too, so I, it's, it's all my bro. It's you know, who cares? We are here. We're drunk. Let's go. <laughs> we drink it. Yeah. You got eleven point five percent, let's go.
1: So uh then he talks about having to make a wheat wine for a sixth anniversary and I you know, I, I don't think, again, not one of these things by themselves is like a, a red flag, but for me, you know, the a, a, the type of beer that people won't drink a lot of, that you know is not a style that's going to move, um, I, I just, I don't see the logic in it. And so if I'm looking for, I'm trying to get attention that I can maintain past the anniversary or something that's going to live on in a revenue-producing way. So he even talks later in the interview about how like you know barley wine's the same thing. He wishes more people would buy it. They keep making it, but it's not really doing revenue. And I, I think that that kind of thing, for me, when I look at it, you know, the breweries that make something that's that people can drink all day and do like, you know, this is a problem you run into a lot. So when you go to a bar, they'll have these big beers and these big kind of like high alcohol, big flavor things that you really just can't order seven of. The ticket for what you spend, the actual dollar figure that you give on your credit card, your Canadian one because you don't have an American credit card, (laughs) just isn't enough to move the needle on a regular basis. So if I'm thinking about how do I make my sixth anniversary the most profitable event I possibly can, I need a beer people can drink a lot of. I want to have high tickets. And how do I do that? I don't do that with the wheat wine. And that's, again, something I've learned maybe since, but – Um, definitely a a red flag in my opinion
0: an interesting one I I, I see that uh, point and I think it's valid for the 7th anniversary which I guess was around the same time this year They did a blend, and this is something that's become popular here that I fucking love. It's a barley wine imperial stout blend. So they just called it seventh, you know, seven. And then they did a single barrel, and they did a double barrel version. And I have them both, but I haven't had the double. I haven't had either yet. Um, I had both the sixth one because they did a maple wheat wine and then one in a... um, one with maple, one with maple and vanilla, I think. And there was, there were dope. And I'm more newer to barley wines. Like I used to like them back in the day. Then I hated them for a while. Then I got back into them. But these blends, apparently, one of my I, one of my friends from Quebec buys all, the, gets me to get all the stuff for him from here. And he bought so much. He's probably spent a thousand dollars through me, and most of that has been barley wine and um, uh, and like the blends and stuff. It's bonkers. Most of it's Barn and Third Moon. And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So like they do a lot of that. I think this time maybe they learned from the wheat wine thing and they did a barley wine stout blend because they know that their stout is what everybody is excited about. um, Typically speaking. And they have pulled that cachet into the new beer. And if you like that, you should try this. And, and and it's a little bit less, you know, if you're not a barley wine person, it's like, you know, if you, have you had many barley wine stout blends? Is it a thing in Texas?
1: no, it's so funny you mentioned that the the episode that's going to be the season opener for the next season, which will be, I'll be two weeks from now, or I don't know when this comes out, but uh, was a, a big guy I wanted to interview. And the first beer I ever had from him was that it was a blend of a barley wine and a, a imperial stout. And that was Lost Abbey in San Diego Ooh. when I first went there in 2011.
0: Um, yeah, it was just it was a beautiful beer. That's the only one I've ever had. Oh, I love that. I've had a couple of Lost Abbey beers, and they're exceptional. And this will come out in two weeks' time as well, so it'll probably time up very perfectly. Perfect. Um, and they are just – I don't know. The ones I've had here, I've only had a, like two or three, and they're just so – one of them's from Godspeed, actually. Um, Third Moon did one. Like a, uh, Bar Canada in, in, in Quebec did one. And I've got a bunch in, in the cellar that are just – I'm so excited to crack them because they're just so good. So I think they may have learned from that wheat wine because it's very like – Uh, you know not super exciting whereas like you know they were quite known the barley wine world you know like that hashtag barley wine is life you know from don't drink beers and stuff Um, very hyper 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 niche like you said earlier niche within a niche within a niche I think that's that and they were probably leaning into that and I think that was Barncat's kind of like appeal was that they were the first at Hayes they were they did some of the best imperial stouts they did some of the best barley wines and very few people gave a flying fuck and maybe that was part of their problem is that they were doing things that maybe those two dudes really loved and that the 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 beer drinking you know population at large just didn't get excited about you know it's, it's difficult to make, to build a business off something that the, a lot of people aren't keen on and you know making lagers here and there and the haze the other problem by the way before they mentioned is that the haze was you know we're talking about before like s- cyclical it was very rare they do a one off they'd bring back the same ones time and time again as opposed to um doing a new one every week so mm-hmm. whilst they were the pioneers of it in ontario and arguably in canada they 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 didn't sort of play into that you know oh every friday there's three more drops they didn't do that they brought back the same ones time, you know and i think in a in a in a scene where in the beginning, it wasn't that big a deal. You could have the same one over and over because there wasn't many choices. When the choice started to grow, that would be harder and harder to compete against. And they only started canning a few years ago. They were doing growlers up until then. So, you, me in Quebec, I barely got a taste of barn cat. I think the first time was probably like 2018, 2019. They were, they started in 20, whatever, long time ago. So, they were really hard to get. They were like the fucking the bucket listing for me they was so hard to get and i i because they were so they're actually pretty close to me now like where they were is like 30 45 minutes away but in from quebec it's like six seven hours drive mm. and you couldn't just go pick me up some cans and ship them to me it was a growler it's very difficult to go and pick it up and ship and have that be in any sort of state of drinkability so just giving you a bit more context for the conversation um can, please continue this this analysis because this is fantastic that's well, actually a note that
1: I didn't make but I remember he did talk about that they used a mobile canner in 2020 to can the products and you know I do drink so I forgot because I, I knew they did growlers up until then the, the I I don't know their price points but the price per ounce I can guarantee you selling the growler was way more beneficial than selling the cans and then the labor to produce the cans paying the mobile canner so mistake number five in my book is don't ever use a fucking mobile canner. and So they're a terrible investment. And that's unfortunately been borne out more and more. And nothing against mobile canners. They're obviously people trying to make money as well as anybody else. But for a brewery, particularly if you go into distribution and you've done mobile canning, most of them wind up learning that they lost money completely and they they, uh, didn't make any money at all. So.
0: yeah that was a big thing in covid and and prior to covid it was just the smaller breweries that did it who didn't want to drop 300k on a on a a candy machine which i understand um that would be why but yeah i I think it was more like uh around the time they because they'd done growlers for so long and they wanted to maybe get their footprint out a little wider that was one way because they were just this hype hyper local thing that only the people around there in an area called cambridge once again it's like 30 45 minutes from here it's you know i've been there like once or twice ever still never got to the brewery before they closed so it was yeah i think that was just why i was starting to do it and the first like one i got i think in cans was like a triple ipa and personally i don't like triple ipas they're too much for me 10 percent on an ipa is like jesus christ like relax that's a lot it's hey. a lot but it was one of the best ones i would ever had because they were so good with the haze like just so good um Anyways, please continue. This is great.
1: Yeah, so then you talked about doing the lagers, and that's another one kind of like on the same timeline or same uh, profit incentive. He, he literally said, we wanted to be drinking lagers for a long time, so eventually we're just like, you know, let's just try it and see how it's received. Again, I I did this as well, but unfortunately what you're saying there is not – Profit-driven, and so if if at the end of the day you're like, "Hey, this is a beer that we like," it may very well not be profitable. It may very well not resonate with your existing clientele. And so, if you're trying to get new clientele, then you typically need new distribution and or new points of distribution. So, and of course, he says in the summer, um, it's it's selling extremely well, quote unquote. But you know what I want to hear is, excuse me. We did three batches of it, and we sold all of them out the first weekend. Or, right. um, but but unfortunately, what you find with loggers, if you're a haze guy, stuff leaves your brewery in three weeks. So, if you're doing loggers correctly, you're probably double that. Your profit on that batch is probably forty percent less, uh, maybe even more than that. Or the less haze? than haze. Correct, and Why? so because there's no there's no hype on the. And granted, your market might be a little bit different. Maybe there's enough hype that you can charge enough for pills and for crispy boys, but typically the price points are low because that's you're you're in you're in that space, right? That lager space with the lower alcohol. You can't do the same volume with it
0: or same profit per volume. I think that's accurate here. I don't think lagers are if someone's charging out the ass is like it's not gonna work. You, you you gotta turn it down a little bit. Right. So you're playing in a space that, you
1: know, AB dominates in and, you know, Miller, all these guys, they're just killing it. And to be honest, they don't make as interesting of products. They don't make as good of products, but particularly from a distribution standpoint, and obviously can't Barn Kent didn't quite have to deal with this at the LCBO, but, you know, you try to go into there with, with that kind of product. And if you don't have huge tanks and then are able to amortize out your expense costs over it. So that's an extreme example, but when you shrink it down, they can, so I put this in the book of uh, uh, two different sections is your tank space has to be amortized into the cost of the beer that you produce. And so if it takes you twice as long to make a pills and you can't make twice the profit, shouldn't have done it. Especially gotcha. when they opened, they only had four tanks. Like obviously at that point it'd be even worse, but
0: that makes sense. Are you dying? I just swallowed the wrong way. And it's like shop cob <laughs> on this like mixed firm thing. So I'm like, Oh, I hate that when it happens. That's good. No, that makes complete Never sense. Never breathe acid. Never. <clears throat> that's what I'm doing right now. Breathing acid. Fucking hell. But it's glorious acid. God damn it. Um, no, that makes complete sense. And I feel like their lagers were, were were something they did down the track. I think they almost, if I'm not mistaken, probably did majority haze up front with some of the, um, the, the stouts and some barley wines. Predominantly stouts the barley ones were fewer and further between. But when they did, apparently they were just exceptional. Like Nate, my co-host, talks about this one called Greenout that they did many, many times. And he was holding out hope when they announced they were closing. They, they gave it maybe two months' notice, and then they dropped a whole bunch of beers. Um, I actually kept the can for uh, for this one. This was actually, funnily enough, it's not. This it says Eminence, which was one of the beers, but they did. They ran out of labels, so it's actually called the last one it's printed on the bottom. So I kept this can because it's their last IPA ever, um, and this was their last beer ever called the Final Boss. A, um, I saw that on their, their yeah. Instagram. Yeah. So I uh, I made sure I kept one of those um, to keep that. Uh, but I think that that was like. They, they they started with basically those two things, the haze and, and the stouts, and then kind of dabbled in and then maybe moved into the lagers and stuff because that's what they were into. So I think that they approached my camera died, but I'm going to change the battery and it'll keep going. Um, I think that they um, formulated the brewery after their own personal interests, which isn't uncommon. Uh, maybe not the wisest move, but. I think they have a cult following or had a cult following and a very dedicated, very passionate cult following. Um, and that's what made them who they were because and they, you know, the the breweries like third moon and, and badlands are just like, like in awe of them and devastated that they, you know, had um, had ended like badlands just did their, um, about a month ago had a, uh, their anniversary. Sixth anniversary, I think, and they did a collab with Barncat, which I have in the fridge, like a, a triple IPA. I think it was one of the probably basically the last thing that Barncat would ever release now because it was so far after they they finally closed. And they always had a Barncat collab, it was always just one of the things that any brewery mm-hmm. worth their salt in Ontario would have a Barncat collab because that's how fucking dope they are. Um, that's well, what I think that's a lot is. of what the
1: sadness comes from, too. Is
0: yeah, I, I mean, I've
1: I got a lot of hate in the very beginning of the podcast um, early on, because there were a lot of reasons, but part of it was that people didn't want to accept that or they want to admit, didn't want to be popular that what I was saying was true. And I think there's no doubt that when a brewery like Barncat goes out of business, some of the fun leaves the industry. Some of what inspires us to be excited about beer to meet the brewers and the guys that make it. And the dudes who are like sweat all fucking day to make this really cool thing if they aren't able to make it, what are we doing? And and, and there's some of that. And so I understand that I'm a buzzkill in that way and that the podcast is definitely contributing to that. I don't want a brewery like Barncat to go away either. I just unfortunately can see the lack of viability in that business model, I guess.
0: I think it makes sense. And we're at a point in time where being real is probably valuable and being real with ourselves. like. If you even look at the you know, the state of the economy and, and everything the way that it is, like, look, man, we just gotta be like, look, it's just shit is fucked up. You're a hundred percent right in saying that like a, a brewery like Banquet Going is just it's rough. The morale side of it is just like full of the breweries themselves. I can only imagine with those guys because I I knew I'd spoken to Matt on text, and I had Jeremy on the podcast, but that was kind of as far as it went. But these other guys, I know the Third Moon guys and Badlands guys, well, and they they seem pretty fucking devastated. So I think that it definitely hurt all the cats who were in their caliber of brewery didn't take it super well, you know. And 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 it was probably hurt their morale, and I'm I'm sure they're all shook within themselves about the the economic impact of everything, and then seeing. The folks who are leading the way wrap it up. It's like, ooh, that's not a, that's not good. You know, I can't imagine how uh, they feel. We've, we've
1: been talking way more recently in, in the states, at least, about sort of the burnout in the industry and like the long hours, the lots of drinking, the you know, the bad health or whatever. And this is sort of plays right into that, where it's like, dude. If the fun leaves the industry, why am I doing it? What do we got? So some of that, yeah, I mean, some of that for those people is like, hey, we're also really struggling. We're also trying to figure out if we have a bad quarter, maybe we're done. And so I think it hits harder in that sense because it kind of makes you wake up from the dream. And again, I hate being that guy, but at the end of the day, somebody has to. So.
0: I mean, look—you're doing it for altruistic reasons. I think, like, I, I think you're a good dude with good intentions, and you're really trying to analyze your own situation. And by doing that, you're providing answers to everybody else um, who are who are in it. And maybe they could uh, they could make some pivots enough to avoid some some downfalls once your book comes out. So I feel like that book is going to be like a textbook, like guaranteed reading type shit, like. uh i'm excited for you on this i know once again that the the topic doesn't seem the most optimistic but i i i really believe that you that like, I, I see the intentions behind it i just think it's like i think it's so valuable dude and maybe you know it's it's gonna make an impact on on the brewery we'll, we'll keep going on this but i just think what you're doing is not trying to bring anybody or anything down it's more just like all right this is the real we have to just be real we can't delude ourselves like we just can't like Shit's fucked everywhere. Cool. So how do we get by the shit fucked era? Let's get by it. Let's figure out how not to fail. How about that? That's that's where we start. Like, not even about how to succeed, because it's so easy. That's everywhere. But how not to fail? That's what you're doing. You're fulfilling a your niche. And that's why I think it's so dope. And that's why I want to have this conversation with you. So this is this is extra fascinating because you analyzed the long podcast that we had and took all these quotes and then did this. This is super dope, and I think this is really valuable. So um, I want to keep cruising through this, man. So we'll talk about the okay. lagers. Talk about the barley wine. Um, keep going. So
1: one of the other things, and, and I have done this before, but um, he wanted to make a triple IPA. That was the yes. first thing they were going to put in cans. and
0: It was. Triple <laughs> Simcoe. It was, <Triple> Simco. <laughs> it was sh-
1: he was shopping for hops and found last year's Simcoe at half price. and was like, well, oh, let's use double Simcoe. So again, I've done this, but this is a risk because if he had, and I it has based on how he was explaining it, he did not do a test batch of a, a double, triple Simcoe. He bought all the hops, threw it in, ran with it. And who knows, maybe when, when alcohol gets to 9%, Simcoe pulls out, cat piss and shit. I don't, I don't know. Right. Like he got lucky that it turned out to be a good beer because at that point he'd already hot committed. He was going to make, and I've, I've done that. I did that with one of the beers that was the last one that I kind of was like a last ditch effort. Maybe I stay alive if this happens and it wasn't good. And I was like, all right, I'm out. Um, but anyways, so red flag. I, I feel but. you.
0: No, that's totally. I'm just checking. Now was ten point five percent. I had it in uh, May 2018. I had that beer. So that was when my friend Nate actually, before he was hosting mm-hmm. the pod, got got me a can of that beer. And he um, loved it. He said it on. Yeah, and it was it was. I loved it. And I don't like triple IPAs because I'm more of a lower ABV guy unless it's like a barrel aged stout or something like that. Um, I just don't really have bandwidth for that. I like volume for the most part because I want to try different things I find more it's more entertaining. And uh but it was it was such a great beer and I was so stoked at the time to get Bunkai. I actually think that was my first Bankai beer ever. Was that Triple Simcoe? Really? And I remember it being except like what did I what did I give it on Untapped? I think I gave it a I'm very generous typically because I just posited four point five out of five on Untapped here. Yeah. Um but, like, a lot of people gave it, you know, once here. i I'm seeing dude, do it, like, 4.75, 4.75. Like, you know, people are, are really, they were that good, though. And I'm not bullshitting. Like, I just, they were that fucking good. And no one was doing what they were doing before they were doing it. And everybody else that came after them were just trying to replicate what they did. That's what level of pioneers and sort of, like, legends they were. And why that hurt so much that they, uh, you know, didn't make it through. Yeah, um, who knows what the future holds too. Maybe they could reopen sometime. But yeah, for now. For now, let's see. I mean, we can only we can only hope. Someone did tell me that they said that I never spoke to them directly about it. But my, someone who spoke to them told me that they were like going back to other industries and they were like, "Fuck this," mm. which is probably smart. But, um, anyways, yes, the um, the corn stuff, right? That you were talking about. Yeah, well, I thought that was interesting,
1: just, and in, it was a small notice, but the, he said he used flake corn mainly to make the color lighter, but also because it has less flavor than barley, but that also, like, flake corn's going to add, it, it changes the body, it's going to change, uh, the, that flavor in, in another way, and just, I don't know, I just thought that that was, again, but I'm, I was going through making notes, that was my least interesting one, but I, I thought that that, it, that, and maybe Matt's more the recipe guy, but.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I actually don't know who did what from, from memory. I can't remember if, if Jeremy was a brewer too. I have a, yeah. I'm have always drunk during these pods, so I never remember shit. Always. You know how it goes. You sound like it. I can tell, yeah. I'm just lit. It's just like I have a, I don't know, you have like three, four hour conversation with people. And I just can't remember the nuances of it all. Like I know that I liked the person and we had a good time, but I don't remember like all the intricate details. I wish I did. Mine doesn't work that way, unfortunately. But, but I'm a glad long he, conversation. and it yeah. was a year and a half ago and you know lots of happened so um no that's yeah. fair that is fair well, I, I don't know if that flaked corn made it uh, he was saying he had flaked corn in the haze in the hazy IPAs in that triple in that triple okay well I don't recall And you know I probably gave it like a little bit of a lighter body because you know you could imagine a triple IPA typically has these big creamy like overly in, you know thick intense bodies so maybe some flake corn kind of like lightens it up just a touch. Not mad at it, particularly if like the punchiness isn't lost because they probably you know double triple dry hop that thing.
1: No, and it could have been a fantastic um, recipe. I've never heard anybody else doing that, so I have no idea. But just no. an interesting way of how he described it.
0: Good call out. Good call um, out.
1: The one that really I thought was the you know the most telling, in my opinion, as the guy who's paying the rent reading the P L's, trying to figure out the next way in. Jeremy seemed very concerned about having been the first to do things. Um, okay. And I, again, not wrong. And though and if he was he should be able to maybe you know, there, there are people who've, uh, there was a brewery in San Antonio that had first to can written on their cans. And they thought that was like cool, like around the, you know, the rim. There, yeah, yeah. And, I think that they released those cans and they may have made it 18 months and they went out of business Mm. first to do a thing. It's again, it's, it's a badge of honor. It's not wrong, but when he mentions it repeatedly throughout the whole thing, it seems to be Well, put it this way. He mentions being the first to do something three times. He never once mentions the most to be profitable or the highest range range of distribution or makes the most of it, or gets the best ratings on untapped or won an award and I just – I did this – I had the same argument with the brewery that made a uh, pickle beer after I made my pickle beer, and I lost the argument. It doesn't matter who's first. Like,
0: it, whoever has the most distribution wins. It's, it's a revenue game, so. That's a good point. I, f- I can see that in hindsight because – the question came up, and the question comes up a lot about who did haze first in Ontario. And I thought it was Sawdust City's Juicin', which is what you re- referred to here in your notes. And they were saying that their one was first because Sawdust was in like October, and they were like in April of 2016. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Or was it 15? Let me check. Let me check your oh, notes. He, sa- he, he released April 2016 is when he said yes. Cool. Okay, so. the the one I thought was the first was uh, October 2016. So Sword city City's a Brewery. We've done a, a couple of collabs with you. Um, so yeah, from what I understand, they were the first based on what Jeremy said. And there's some pride to be taken for being the first. I mean, again, to understand the difference between like the states. You guys are sort of leading the way, leading the charge with craft beer and the, the trends and all that type of stuff. So when you're in a different market, for the ones to be paying attention particularly at that time if you think back to 2016 when things were very very different like i hung out with sean hill uh, a month ago he's a fucking champion we hung out with him for like an hour and a half at, at the brewery and even he was saying like he's he's he essentially from what i understand started the haze thing and then nate from treehouse was coming to his events and basically copied kind of what he did and then trillium and so on and so forth so like seeing like the OGs of like Hayes. And I'm just trying to trace the history of it through this podcast and just trying to get the answers to like who was first, not that someone's superior, but just like the, you know, the history just to to document it here. And um, in Canada, it was, we're, you know, if you look at that, if Sean Hill did it, I think he said it was like 2011, 2010, something absurd, like a long time ago that he did like Susan. There was like a kind of almost like looking more like this. Like it's like slightly opaque um, uh, even before Hedy and stuff like that. Cause he worked as John Kimmich was his mentor at, uh, at well, my, uh, my understanding is that Hedy was 08. So Hedy was a Vermont IPA and Hedy is, and Sean worked with John. But I think that maybe, I don't know, because that's a Vermont IPA. That was the precursor, because I think that was before um uh, Ship of Sunshine from Lawson's. That was the precursor to the New England IPA, which from what Sean told us off the record, like hanging out, not on, on a pod. Um, I want to have him on. I was talking to him today, actually, on email, and maybe something next year if all works out. But I'd like to get him on the record just saying like, this is the order as far as he's concerned because all I want to do is what I got Jeremy saying this is what happened. Cool. Get, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just getting the different cats on like this is what happened. Boom, boom, boom. That's all I want to do is because I don't know. I just want to get to the truth of it and all I can do is ask the question of all the different players involved. I'd love to have everybody on at different times and just figure it out but that is what I understand that potentially Sean might have been the one who accidentally you know, had too many, he said, like polyphenols in the fucking hops and the blah, blah, blah. That resulted in that sort of opaque uh, look, which wasn't really typical because the Vermont IPA was kind of like that. And this took it to like a slightly next level. And then I always thought Treehouse and Trillium were the ones to really like do it in like 2014, 15. But anyway, being a, a Canadian brewery doing that in 2016 is, is no small, small thing. So I think that's probably potentially why he was proud of being the first one uh, here um, I'm not familiar with any other provinces because I was really just you know between Quebec and Ontario so that's all really I know about as far as historically but um, that could be the the long-winded version of <laughs> of why he's sort of you know proud and, and um, you know wanted to insist upon that yeah
1: I don't think it's at all wrong and I think if he was first that he deserves the medal right but um I guess I kind of think of it this way. If he was doing a hundred million dollars a year and the guy who like lost to him by a month and a half or, or whatever was doing 800 grand, like he'd be like, bro, it's cool. You can have, like, I don't even care. Like we're both making hazies and whatever. I, I think from my perspective, when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, man, that guy, that guy's just, he's not rich yet. He's not in his mind successful yet. And he did, but he does have those medals and those are wins. And so again i'm not taking away from him i was just looking at it from perspective of i i saw kind of like a struggle in in, in my opinion based on that so
0: no I, I think this is extra interesting to be honest for uh for you to notice that and i think that's more interesting that you know maybe that's what they were uh focusing on at the time mm-hmm. it's cool yeah, yeah. i like it. okay so
1: then when I, when I looked them up, again, they, they, uh, they had four seven-barrel fermenters and you know, no tasting room in the beginning. And I understand it sounds like they had some laws that prevented them from being able to have an actual on-site consumption tasting room.
0: Probably just a permit. They just didn't get the right yeah. permit in time. And I think they, if I'm not mistaken, they had a tasting room for a period of time it could have been COVID that shut them down. Then they were like, "Just fuck it" and never bothered to continue again. I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah, but even just the space, like, you know, we all kind of opened with less than we needed, and more and more, I'm realizing that you, you just can't like the idea of like proof of concept, and then three to five years later, I'm just going to get new money and expand. Uh, that's just not happening now. And when they opened, it kind of was legitimate. But at the same time, unfortunately, as they progressed, it became, you know, I don't say impossible, but uh, not really with the way it's working. And so it to me, that's as I did, that's like approaching it more like a home brewer, which is what they were more so than an MBA who's like, OK, you know, how do we maximize the investment of these four tanks when we put in three more? What is seven going to give us and what does that revenue look like? I don't. I don't think the way they were selling that there's any reality in which four to seven fermenters at seven barrels was going to make them money. And just, they probably found that out It's part of the reason that they ended up closing.
0: A lot of people said that too. It was the tasting room plus just not expanding growing volume or anything like that, uh, really sort of allowed them to, to get where they needed to be. Plus also the sort of, uh, you know, they weren't into distro, you know, aside from uh, the small independent bottle shops, which, like I was saying earlier, only really became legal over the last couple of years. Um, they weren't doing LCBO. They weren't doing anything major. They were just doing their little local guys. So it's almost like, to me, as a business owner, it came across like they weren't even trying. Maybe they were, but it felt like they were just like... Wanting to be that sort of like under the radar, mysterious, you could only go there and get growlers type of, you know, type of cats that kind of flew back when they was, they started. But then over time, as things change it it didn't really work and they didn't really follow the times as far as that's concerned and i and then not innovating they were innovating and doing a whole lot of fun barrel stuff but that was like must be only a fraction of their you know you don't even produce so much barrel stuff whereas like you know the haze are doing the same ones over and over and people just lost excitement when third moon and badlands will evolve fucking all these different breweries were just doing fun shit every week and they were like well why would i get the same badlands that i've had seven times ty- i'm oh, sorry um bunk out. I've had seven times when I'm like I could get these three brand new beers that's never been tried before. That you know, so I think that kind of bit him in the ass a little bit. Yeah, it, it sounds a lot like they, to their credit, that at
1: least Jeremy and Matt was on the show. But at least Jeremy had sort of decided what he wanted to do, and this is this is how I want my business to run, this is what I want it to be, and this is what I want to drink and what I want to make, and unfortunately it wasn't viable for the industry and for the marketplace and it wasn't supported in whatever way it needed to be by the consumers, but he didn't want to change. And that is something I'm seeing more and more, hearing more and more, Uh, you know, Judd most recently at Dos Luces in in Denver, he was like, no, 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 I, I know exactly what it will take to fix it, but I don't want to fucking go work there. And so if I need to make these changes in my brewery to make it profitable, I'd rather go get a desk job doing something else. That's not where I want to work. And that's, I mean, I, I get that.
0: Like, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. I respect it, man. You got to know what you want out of life. And you if, if you got into the beer thing, you want to do it a certain way. And maybe you had to learn the hard way that it isn't profitable and it's not going to make it work. Then tough shit. And maybe that's what these guys did too. Maybe these guys were just like, this is how we roll. Oh, it's not going to work. Well, it's being fun. You know, like I (laughs) get it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm not mad at you for that, because I feel like that's knowing what you want out of life, and I respect that highly, because that takes almost more balls to do that than it does to kind of pivot and figure it out. You know, you're just like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that at all. I'm like, you know, whether it's yeah. for me or not, like the fact that that's what you wanted out of this, and then maybe it, there was no way to, to, to realize that that isn't financially viable except to try it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And hey, then Maddie. you have the the guy whose beer I was just drinking uh, in Portland, yeah. the hair of the dog. He was like, I go, why didn't you sell it? He goes, dude, you really think that some asshole I'm going to let come in and completely destroy the beer that I've been making for 25 years and ruin my legacy? Oh, fuck that. <laughs> I'm like, right, I get that. Can't be mad. What if he wants a million and a half? He's like, no, nah, I don't care. I own the building. I made money. I'm okay. Okay.
0: Like, All right. I respect the non-greed, particularly in the States, in a capitalist society, that people aren't that greedy. I think that people in beer, the vast majority, aren't that greedy. I think there are some that are, but I think most people that I talk to, and now that you are a similar cat to me, that you talk to a lot of people as well, there's a lot of people I meet that just like, oh, we want to grow slowly. It's almost like they bought themselves a job. Like they don't want to mm-hmm. go too crazy, just want to be able to pay my rent and like do my shit and just brew the beers every day. And that's what they want to do. That's the casual life they've bought themselves. They don't give a fuck about blowing up distribution. Just keep the shit going and they're good. I'm like, oh man, like I don't know. I feel like I'm more of a capitalist personally. I have larger aspirations. So that wouldn't work for me. But I'm not mad at the people who are true to themselves and that's what their business represents. Like you can't, I, I can't be mad at somebody if that's what they want out of the situation they got themselves in, you know?
1: I would agree, except for one caveat, because Please. I'm one of the guys that helps you kind of like build that model and how you're going to pay for it. As long as if grandma's an investor, she's cool and you tell her the truth about that.
0: So I agree if with you're that, bringing so. on...
1: If you're bringing on investors, bank loans, whatever, and the idea is like, no, 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 we're gonna have a great, you know, 2027 20, is our year, but you have no intention of making money or any like, you know, plan for that. I just think you gotta be honest
0: and, and with yourself as well. So. I could not agree more with that as well. Like, I think that's like a absolutely f- absolute like that would be included in that. Like, if you're getting people to invest, you have to be like straightforward with your intentions behind it. Yeah, I was about to say, like, maybe if you do have that kind of like chill intention behind it, then maybe you shouldn't get investors because it's probably not fair if they're going to be lucky to see to get their money back. Um, wineries do it all the time. I don't know. Wineries are a different conversation, I guess, because they have a you know, the breweries can like turn a profit like that. Wineries need to have vines growing for x number of years before they can make anything at all any sort of viable product um we've spoken to a lot of wineries because of my girlfriend Tiffany's like liquid X happiness accounts where we've talked to, you know, we, we know we've got a few friends who own wineries now because of all of this and hearing what they have to say. I'm like, Oh man, you think beer's hard? Fucking hell. And why not? Aren't even trying to (laughs) for the most part to attract a a younger audience. They're only aiming at this older thing that they're fucking dying, bro. What do you think? Aim at these younger cats. Like maybe Gen Z aren't, um uh drinking a ton but millennials still are which is i imagine you and i'm at the tippity top of millennials i'm barely a millennial type of thing um but they're just like wine don't even seem to be trying it's weird to me to be honest like why why not even like it's like do you want to survive like what do you think's gonna happen like when all the fucking boomers die bro like who's gonna buy your shit like if if yeah, I don't know. so wine is a whole different industry and stuff. So I think the 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 beer has a while to go before it's as bad as where wine is. That's a different conversation, I think. Yeah, well, the, in the states, surprisingly,
1: it's not. It, it's actually evening out. So really, I, I did. That's I good. interviewed one. Well, I interviewed one uh, winery, and and I've reached out to more of them, and in, not surprisingly, maybe surprisingly, they're less likely to talk about it. Um, maybe cause there's more money, maybe cause they're successful in other ways. I don't know, but, uh, no one seems to want to talk to me, but I did talk to one kind of urban wineries. It was called, uh, oh, the monkey one now I can't think of it, but, um, and, and so during that interview or before the interview, I did the research, not as much as I did for yours, but research mm-hmm. and wineries went in the States during the time beer expanded from, you know, th- 3,000 breweries to 10,000, wine went from 9,000 to almost 12,000, which is still a shitload. But now there's like 12,000 wineries and only you know 10,000 breweries. The gap is way closer. Mm. And uh, again, what we know from all the macro numbers you see, ethanol production in the United States has stayed pretty consistent and the new crop of folks aren't really getting into it. And so, uh, it looks very bleak having that many outlets on, you know, all three tiers because spirits also grew, but
0: yeah. mm. It's going to be an interesting future, man. Like it's a little, it's a little concerning for, for I'm everybody. Glad i because they, they keep, they don't make more land. So they, they, they don't make more land. You're in the right <laughs> business, my guy. Like if swear to God, if we weren't doing this, the only other business that makes sense is real estate. And I'm not a salesperson at all, but, uh. Real estate kind of sells itself. You just got to not be a dickhead and just be kind of smart about it. And I feel like you can do a, a good job. Obviously, you're out here killing it because uh, you're a salesman and you know what's going on and you're obviously running a, running a business enough even if maybe it didn't work out. But 10 years running a business and didn't close down, I don't know. I think that's still something to be celebrated. I think that's really dope. i got a lot of respect for that as well, particularly in a, in a, in a business like Beer that when you got into it, it wasn't cool. It wasn't popping at all. And then things became cool and popping later on, um, you know, and, and you decided to, to exit at a good time, it seems like. So, um, and now you're analyzing yeah. it. I don't know. I, I, I like everything you're doing with this, man. It just makes, it makes a lot of sense. Well, it'll be interesting to see, too, that, you know,
1: we not only do we not learn much about ourselves from success, I think, you know, but I don't think it makes us better people in general. Uh, but my failure... I, I would venture to get, maybe when you were younger, we might have, whatever, but the person I was when I started this in, in this industry was not necessarily the nicest guy. So, you know, I left my first company, you know, made seven figures, uh, you know, doing well, riding high. It's kind of a dick. And uh, I don't know, I think the failure made me a better person at the end of the day. Uh, maybe not a great person, but a better person. So.
0: Hey, man. Well, I don't know I've only had a good experience with you personally, so I I, I see that. But I like that humility, and I like the self honesty and the self reflection. I think that's a a, a really an admirable trait because you got to look at yourself. It's hard to look at yourself and just be like, "I'm fucking up here, here, and here." And if you're able to do that, and and to know that, like, you came off a like a big win with some confidence, which is probably deserved, because it's not like Having eight fitness centers was a guaranteed win. You could have fucked that up, but you didn't, and you made it work. And then you exited, and you did good, and you came out with some guap. And you're like, "Hell yeah, bitch! I killed this shit." Like, there, let me get into some fucking beer. I'm gonna kill that too. <laughs> that's you pretty know? accurate. <laughs> yeah, and like, but I'm not like, uh, can you blame somebody for for doing that for growing a business and exiting seven figures? I mean, that's not an easy task and you feel great about yourself and there's that like many probably people around you that are doing like that and then you get into something like beer you know like, whoa this is a little rough this is different and that humility you know then you but, but but you've been successful before so you're able to parlay that into the success in real estate and then now be able to analyze the failure and you're taking sort of that you know, the 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 negative side of what happened and then turning, essentially, you're turning that into a complete positive by analyzing multiple, hopefully 100 different people's failures and then being like, these are the things that made people fail. If you avoid that, you're probably going to succeed. So really, that's a positive at the end of the day. And then you've made yourself a better person. So I don't know. I see all dubs on your side, my bro. Like, I don't see any uh, any L's at all. Ain't I appreciate that. I don't know. I think it's cool. I just think it's really dope what what you're doing. I just think it's like really valuable in the fact that you even took the time to listen to that episode and then we analyze that to see like some of the things that you know Bankai, rest in peace. That you know it's a real, genuine, true shame, and, and maybe these guys just had enough, and maybe they did it intentionally, not unknowingly, like subconsciously, they were like, what's the word when you fucking. Um, Ruin your own shit. What's that called? I'm, I'm having a blank because we've been drinking. Oh, um, like self sabotage. Self sabotage. Thank you. Yeah, self sabotage. Yeah. Like, the member just being like, oh, I'm just gonna make barley wines and stouts, and I know they're not gonna make crazy money, and oh, fuck it, I don't even care. You know, it, it, it could have been a bunch of that. Maybe they just had enough. They might have just had enough and just happy to to wrap it up. And they went out on a high. Everyone was loving their stuff, and it, I I went and bought as much of their because you know what? I found myself guilty of that. I wasn't buying as much of their stuff as I would normally have because it wasn't new all the time because i had it before i was like ah it'll be around it'll be around then all of a sudden when it wasn't i was like oh no i got to get of this shit and you know it's, it's kind of how it goes right you don't appreciate what you got till it's gone type of thing
1: well there's probably also 5x the number of breweries from the first time you tried it so at some point too you've only got so much beer you can put in your face and you're a professional you can put a lot
0: but there's a limit. <laughs> but I'm traveling too, right? So I'm getting shit from everywhere. So everything's an opportunity cost. Like mm-hmm. I've still got beers from New England, which was I know, three weeks ago when we got back. And I want to drink them before they die. So I can't justify buying new beer from here right now because I have to finish all of that stuff and I still have a, a pretty significant volume to go. And I don't want to to get too much older so I I just gotta fucking plow through what I have in as fast as possible to just get get you know enjoy it as fresh as as, as I can get it it's a whole thing it's a whole thing you know I'm just trying to like try as much stuff from as, as many different places as possible and then oh, I wish haze just didn't last like you know four weeks tops god damn it it's, it, it's so annoying because then you just miss out on the thing and you know, on the on the the, the freshness the freshness of it but anyway um This is good, man. I feel like we're coming up on three hours. I knew this was going to be a a long one, but a great one. Um, I feel like we've gone over a lot tonight. We've really covered sort of your history and sort of a lot of the different areas where, you know, maybe you saw that you went wrong and then people around you went wrong. And, and, you know, some of the breweries did right too. You know, some of the the ones that we drank tonight were were doing great. It's like the the one that you had. What was the brewery you had first? The one with the winery and the... Yoke fellow, y- Y-O-L-K? like yoke around your neck. Yeah, fellow. Ah, uh, yeah, y o k e y o k e. I'm sorry. Okay, I love that. I'm definitely going to look out for them. That is super cool. You know, Treehouse and and, and Godspeed and um, uh, Hair of the Dog. You rest in peace as well. And Barncat rest in peace. You know, do we, I feel like we really covered a decent amount of uh, of. I don't know, obviously, um, Russia River. You know, we covered a decent amount of uh, of breweries that in different stages of their success and, and, and otherwise, and uh, also doing that. So your podcast, how not to start a damn brewery is available everywhere. Um, if you are a brewery who, or if you're listening and you know, a brewery who maybe should be on it now, what what are the type of breweries that you're looking for? If anyone is a potential guest, who are you looking for? Cause I got a, aside from bondcat who I'd love to get you in touch with, but now I'm like, how do I get in touch with them? Like, I don't know how to, I have emails, but do the emails work anymore? I don't know. I I did
1: send them an email. I don't know. I don't know what. I think it was only a couple of days ago, but yeah.
0: It might be worth DMing yeah, no, them no. on Instagram. But there's another brewery in Toronto I know, uh, which I could probably say because they're gone called People's Pint, that um that went out of business I believe earlier this year or last year, and he was proactively saying. Do not get like he's aggressive on your side, as in, like, do not get into the beer business. It's fucking pointless. Um, I have him personally on Facebook, so I can message him. Uh, if you want people's pint, um, which I can talk to you off air about as well, that might be worth talking about because he's seems to be pretty aggressively against the beer industry right now because he knows how rough it is. So that might be a good cat to talk to, um, from Toronto, I but.
1: That'd be fantastic
0: because normally I'm that guy, and I would probably be in the middle compared to him. So it'd be
1: interesting <laughs> to have a conversation with somebody like that.
0: Yeah, I, I've seen some of the stuff he said uh, to other people, and I was like, "Oh, this dude is just not having it at all." So um, that could be a uh, a good one. So let's let's talk about that off air, and I can I can even reach out to him on your behalf or find out his uh, email. But if there's anyone who you would want to speak to, and if anyone's listening right now, like what's the archetype of the, the guest you would like to speak to on your podcast so we can get you to that 100 uh, goal, 100 episode goal, so then you can write this book that everybody can benefit from? So
1: uh, there's a lot of stories that will help. Uh, like I think I told you, we I try to have only one successful brewery per season, but I definitely, one, one thing I don't have, and there's a couple I've reached out to, is I don't have a brewery who went into liquidation, came out of it, and then, continued and so that would be an interesting story like what did you do differently and then another one that i've reached out to that i haven't been able to get is a brewery that closed down because it wasn't working and then a brewery that opened up in the same spot and it is working to interview both of them together and figure out what brewery b is doing better than brewery a and how it's, it's turned around and obviously there's some verification needs to go with that but then at this point, if, if, if a brewery is closed down, I, I definitely want to have a conversation and then I'll, we can walk through it. And if it, if it's relevant and good for both of us, then you know, going forward, I'd love to at least talk. So
0: That's amazing. Where can they reach out to if they wanted to to get in touch with you? What's the best way? Uh, email or
1: phone. Email is easy to remember. It's just three words, freeplaykelly at gmail.com. And then uh, if you want to write down my number, 830-481-7092, happy to take
0: phone calls. So. That's awesome. So reach out if there's anything. Uh, if I think of people, I'm going to tell you about it, but um, I'll give you some details that I have from anybody, from at least those two, from Barncat and from People's Pint, because I have a feeling he, at the very least, because he didn't seem happy about the way it all went down, you might be interested in chatting. There's another brewery here called Rhythm and Brews in Kitchener, Ontario, which is not too far from here, um, that closed down. Uh, not too long ago, like I'm talking within the last month, they might be interested. You might be able to get them on Instagram too. So I'm going to give you all those names off air, just maybe a few little leads that could be helpful. And like it sucks that sucks. I can think of those so many already off the top of my head. That's probably a side of the times that we're in that like, you know, things are a little rough. But I think like a uh, the bright side is that they could talk to someone like you, Kelly, and be able to, you know, you're going to ask intelligent questions from someone who has shared their position and trying to analyze the thing and not to make anyone feel bad about any of their things because you're in their exact position. And, and just to try to like the the ultimate goal is to really share the learnings from this so that, you know, current brewery owners and, and potential brewery owners could know what to avoid. And, and sort of like, you know, some of the pitfalls. And I just think that that's just a great thing to have in the zeitgeist that the people can just have access to. And I think it's really admirable that you're doing that and taking the time, you know, as a serial entrepreneur like yourself, man, you know, any dubs and L's, it doesn't matter. It's all part of the story. And it's all it's all a beautiful thing. So I think you're a champion, man. I appreciate you. And I'm very glad that Kevin put us in touch. This has been really fun.
1: I appreciate letting Let me share the story. And I had a great time tonight. So anytime I can come help, let me know.
0: Man, we, we're going to definitely do this again. I feel like, uh, you know, usually every like 12 to 18 months we touch base with someone, but basically now we're in touch. If you're like, hey, we have a development and you want to do it, let's fucking just hang out, pick some beers, we'll do it again because uh, this is a very easy conversation. And I just, think it's, uh, I just think it's valuable. And I feel like this has been one of the realest conversations that we've had here as far as I feel like I'm typically skewing towards the maybe more optimistic side of things, but... We got to be real with the with the world we're living in, and you know, things are a little rough. And you know, let's talk about the issues, the things that the 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 breweries and companies and individuals may be having. And, and you know, we're not just dwelling on the issues. We're like, oh man, this is all fucked. We're like, yeah, you know, how can we get around it? You know, what's the what's the solutions? Because that's what we were sort of you know looking through the 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 transcript and the notes that you had on Boncat. like. What could they have potentially done better? And you pointed out a number of things. You know, why didn't you open the tap room? And why did you continue to produce styles that weren't really the biggest sellers? You know, in a time when things were a little rough. Things like that. So, I think this is valuable. More than happy to have you on any time, man. So let's let's definitely keep in touch. I'm glad we are connected. Um, I want to take a screenshot of the thumbnail. Um, do you want to hold up some of the cans and/or uh, bottles that you got there? I know I think you had all bottles actually. I did. Strangely, because I'm surprised that Yokefellow had a bottle. Yeah, like, I like it. I like the. Oh, shit. Whoops. I already took the screenshot. That was a silly one, wasn't it? Let's do that again. <laughs> there we go. I don't know what happened. It's knocked all three beers back. This, I think it's Treehouse. It was like 8.5. It was a little rough. All right, you ready? <laughs> Boom. Um, stick around I'm just going to wrap this up and we'll uh, we'll finish up off air. but uh, Kelly where can everybody find you online my man so
1: Dan Brewery is the
0: easiest Uh, if you go Instagram Facebook Twitter all those it's going to be
1: Dan Brewery and then uh, yeah if you google how how not to start a Dan Brewery you're going to find
0: a bunch of different places we are so that's amazing Is Dan Brewery on Instagram Mm mm-hmm okay I'm going to get you now I don't know if I didn't have you on there that's ridiculous uh dem actually D8. no Instagram
1: might be how not to start a damn brewery. I there didn't it is. It on that one. Oh, Some I got you. Some
0: asshole took it
1: and damn
0: I, f- I forgot about that. I got you. I got you here. Yeah, I see you following. I wasn't following you back. I apologize. I got you now. though. how not to start a damn brewery on Instagram. So make sure you check that and you Google it. Basically, I just googled earlier today and I found uh, I found everything. Uh, there's a bunch of great episodes um, everywhere. Apple Podcasts, everything. I mean, you've got. Uh, um, you got People's Beer, which is interesting because I've had them on the podcast too, which I thought was super cool. You got Aaron Gore, who's actually coming up again soon from Bavano, who formerly known as uh, Community CVB Community Ventures Brewing or CBV Community Brewing oh. Ventures, something like that. Used to be called. Um, you got the Aussie one coming up. You are telling us about with Hendo. Um, you've had some really uh, really interesting stuff on here, so it's definitely worth it. If you, particularly if you're a brewery owner and you just want to, you know see what you could avoid and maybe there's some you know you got steam whistle from here in canada as well which is perfect because they're a what are your success stories i imagine um because they're killing mm-hmm. it You got uncle kevin from barrel of monk she's a fucking champion another success story he's doing great um so it's definitely it's available everywhere so make sure you guys check it out um guys thank you so much for watching and listening if you enjoyed the oh did i say oh Yuri said where to follow i'm drunk i don't care guys thank you for watching and listening if you enjoyed the episode smash the thumbs up hit subscribe button hit that notification bell so you know when the new draws. Follow us everywhere at baos podcast check out the long form audio so you can hear attractive gentlemen texan gentlemen like uncle kelly talk about craft beer mate this has been a beaut. we'll see you guys in the next one cheers cheers man